Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. Because in Jeff's World, we never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. I am uh, very proud of America. America! Uh, and you say, how are you, how are you proud of America right now, Jeff? Well, kind of like an, an, an approving dad uh, or parent. I want to be gender specific. <laughs> like an approving parent watching his kid drop the winning touchdown, getting, you know, booed, but getting back in the game, determined to stand up and keep trying for trying's sake. That's how America feels right now for me. We're not winners, but... We're not losers. Wait, how is it? We were supposed to have so much winning, we'd be sick of winning by now. <laughs> that's right. How is that possible I'm, we're not winning? I'm just sick, not sick of winning. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's Jeff Hendrick. Also, of course, uh, Erica Ferriston is here with me. I am great again. She is great again. She's always great. Yeah, and you, But you weren't ever not great, so yeah. big deal. <laughs> I love you guys. I know there's, like a, there's always now. the Erica fan club in that's here. That's right. We're very simple. I was always great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hanging out with Al Capone back in the good old days when I was Back great. when they were great, I was great. It was great. Oh, the yeah. whole thing was just great. We buried all of our problems in that doggone basement that Geraldo opened later. <laughs> <laughs> the butter was great. Everything was great. Liquor was great. Dancing was great. No, not so much. No. No America, more, no more sure. winning. No more winning. You know, we, and yet uh, we are, and we are going to win. This is good for us. This is terrifying and scary and everything else in between. And, and it seems like some no, massive it's, growing pains. It's necessary. I don't know. It's necessary. Yeah, I don't know. Thank you. The word good. It's the lesson we were looking I for. I don't know. Good is a word. I well, just good in a sense. I like a good lesson. And this is the lesson we're getting, and it's a good one. And uh, so it's, it's yeah. good open heart surgery. You're going to love it. <laughs> That's perfect. Good afternoon, surgery. Good cancer. So today on Jeff's World, uh, I'll give you some of my emotional thoughts on back to school. I can't help myself. I'm dad. Erica's got her kids going back. I got my boy. Uh, also, the common good had a good day for the common man this week. Also, President Trump bluffs again. <laughs> uh, Trump supporters troll themselves. You know what's interesting about Trump bluffing? Mm. He's playing checkers. I don't know how that works. You can't even bluff in checkers. He's bluffing on a game that you can't bluff. Exactly. He's bluffing in checkers. No, no. No, I've got kings. Believe me, bigly, I've got kings. No, dude, you don't. (laughs) You don't. They're great kings. The best kings. The best kings ever. (laughs) Ever. And so, uh, (laughs) believe me. So in addition to Trump supporters trolling themselves, 2015 Trump will troll 2017 Trump. That happens a lot uh, because we are living in a hypocritical world. Uh, Trump supporters are diminishing in numbers, but holding strong. They're still, they still love them. Jimmy Kimmel makes an appeal to America after Charlottesville. We will test ourselves on the racism scale. A little article I found, nice racism scale, and kind of be honest about where we are with it. And debunk some myths, hopefully, about slavery, racism, Confederate statues, and holidays. Those from the South know that there are also Confederate holidays. I will tell you some of those, and you will not believe it if you're a Californian. Uh, the theme of today's show will be a little bit of uh, you can't be mean unless you've first been scared because we're seeing a lot of that. That comes out in racism. The NFL continues to try to avoid controversy by taking a controversial side on the story. Uh, can cannabis save coal country? 
Yes. Not a good yes. 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 I got some Dude. right here. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Industrial hemp can it. save the planet. Yes. Never mind coal country, the whole damn shooting match. Yeah, thanks, Nylon. <laughs> thanks, Petroleum. I love you. Eric, all. I got some right here. You're such an amateur. You're like, I got one of those jointy things with the things you put the smoke in the pot the thing. thing. The Anyone want to make with the pot with yeah, me? Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Where is the flower? You're showing your noviceness. <laughs> also, I want to talk about the unsung hero of the food service industry. Very appropriate now in immigrant uh, discussions and whose praises are sung loudly in every restaurant. And the weird story that uh, the weird story topic Fox News is obsessed with that you may not have noticed. It's not just North Korea. They love North Korea, but there's one topic they keep coming around to, which is weird. And I want to try to figure that out. No, <laughs> no, it's not long since then. Although they come back, around. it's not Clinton either. It's not a person. It's a it's a a style of story. And I was like, God, I've been noticing they cover this one every time it happens. Also, Republicans are eating their own, not only in Arizona uh, and nationally, though, too, because as Steve Bannon's Breitbart goes right to war with both the establishment and Trump White House staffers. You get a conspiracy theorist, and they will keep conspiracy theorizing. That's uh, yeah. what happens. Poo-flinging monkeys are going to fling poo, everybody. That's yep. You know what? The Republicans are Trump. Let's <laughs> just be real. That is the that is they the big question. They really, really are. They have done. They have total power, and they have done nothing to stop Trump. And the fact that some of them go out there and say a little speech, oh, I disagree with that, but take no action to do anything. They are Trump. They keep Trump in power. Trump and the Republican Party are the same. And she just teased uh, the other two parts that's coming up. Uh, Don Lemon made some news. He is the news. He's CNN's Don Lemon. But I'll write along what Erica's saying, along with Howard Dean kind of making those connections. And then the question is whether that is fair or not. But first, before we finish this segment, the clips. I am. To- I totally geeked out over the eclipse. We got the glasses, you know, did that thing. Obviously, in California, here down in Southern California, we got a 62% coverage, 70% coverage. Yeah, it was 70, it was, whatever, yeah. Which isn't, you know, super impressive, but cool. Whereas, um, you know, when you watched on TV, I thought that was such an amazing, unifying event uh, for folks because you just were all these people in the field. You weren't Democrats, you weren't Republicans, and a lot of reporters made that observation, which was nice to just say, this, everybody has just got hair standing up on their arms, and it has nothing to do with, you know, the normal social crap that we go through. I went to the dentist. (laughs) So much for that. Oh my gosh, I had a doctor's appointment too. My kids are set up with the glasses. Okay. And then I rushed home, and I think I got home, like, I think peak time here was 10.20, I got home closer to 11, but I could still see it. Yep. And I was excited. And I did. I texted, like, my mom yeah. and my brother and see, yeah, my family. I'm like, way. did you guys see it? Yeah. And so we, it was it was a fun little connection. So it was, it was really fun to watch the leader of this great country stare right into a blinding <laughs> sun with no eye protection. He, he didn't catch while that. While people are yelling at him. Don't do that. No, no, did that really happen? Yes, it really oh, yeah. did. In fact, wait, 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 wait. He really looked at it without eye protection? Straight up. 
Okay, wow. so he had the glasses, and there are pictures of him looking with the glasses. Right. But they did a count, even when the video media, media made a montage. Six times he did a quick glance up to the sun without without protection. Oh, he I know. is I not know. smart. Not a good role model. He is really And, and Hendrick's right. An aide shouted out, don't look, don't look. You can hear it. It's yeah, clear. You can hear it on the clip, and he's staring <laughs> right at the sun. This the is our president? Yeah, this is our president. Yeah, well. Oh, my gosh. Well, his retinas are burnt out. Right. So just a little reminder for the 41% of the registered electorate who sat sat this one out. This is partially on you. (laughs) The reason we have an orange-tainted, fluffy-headed, poo-flinging monkey who stares into the sun is maybe because you thought, oh, Hillary and her emails. Thanks, 41%. Remind me to pay you back for that next four years. So it was, I did stop a guy on the sidewalk. From he was looking up. Yeah. Into the, and yeah. I, I just the mother and me. I just I was like, oh, oh, don't do that. Yeah. I went to uh, I went out my front door and, and I went to a couple of different my neighbors who I knew they would be too lazy to get glasses. So I went over to their houses. I went to the ninety year old lady next door and I, I gave, just saw her. Yeah, yeah, Margie. So I gave her the glasses so she could look. She thought it was really oh I didn't even know there was a cliff. You know whatever she's looking. And then a couple of her neighbors I gave it to. So it was kind of fun. And like oh I wanted to see it because you can't do it without the glasses of course. And some other. What did you pay for those glasses? Oh nothing. I mean the things. Oh everybody was got gouged on shipping. My wife is so bright. She uh, looks it up and she goes there's shipping is like the glasses are only like four dollars with a shipping was 30 or 40 or something right and then she looks carefully and she says well if you don't want it for 10 days and the eclipse at this point wasn't like 25 days away you can spend it's shipping's free so she just so, went free shipping you're looking on amazon yeah or something i don't know I, th- I don't think it was amazon but she did it something in, with in advance enough she was pretty bright but some fun facts about the eclipse uh, that our california solar power grid during the eclipse it took a six gigawatt hit to the wow. power, which is pretty intense. All of a sudden, just whip. Yeah, wait, wait for the right wing news outlets to run with that. The next time we want to have a solar but solar's farm. useless. It's useless because what if the sun goes out ten years? Oh my god! Go, 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 go. I live in Brentwood on a pretty nice street. I can't tell you how many times our power goes out, and it's out for a long time. Really? Yeah, like that. I some. I, I just thought that That's was cool. kind of encouraging in a weird sort of way because you always have this expectation that obviously you know the, the better resources and infrastructure flows to the neighborhoods with better money. I, our power never goes out in Burbank, ever. So I'm just <laughs> saying that that would be a bo- like, okay, once every 33 years, if we had solar power, it might go out right. for a couple of hours. Right. That's much better than what's happening right, right now. Yeah, keep in mind that over the next 10 years, battery technology is going to quadruple in its yeah. size and capacity. You'll all have your own uh, personal power plants. Right. Yeah, you won't even, have to, won't even have to. Power. I'm looking for the day. This is my little prediction when all the power lines go away. Because uh, we'll finally just have little personal power sources, which will be amazing. Because for those who live in a neighborhood like mine where there's power lines everywhere, they're kind of ugly. They're so ugly. And so oh, nice yeah. And let's not forget cancer clusters underneath them. Yeah, right. The old, the, the, the high tension lines. Also, there was a $700 million loss in productivity during the solar eclipse, supposedly everybody, you know, leaving work. But they also pointed out that in these little towns, they saw economic boons they've never seen ever, ever in their existence. And, and won't again. And won't again. <laughs> and won't again. Yeah. Well, gas stations run out of gas. Wyoming, so, Wyoming's population tripled. Right, exactly. Well, it doesn't say it much, but it did. Wow. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I was at the doctor's <laughs> office, and I can't t- like, all the, nurse, the nurses, everyone was out in the streets. And as I was rushing to get home to view it with my boys, I'm just driving, Dad, and you just see everybody out on the sidewalk yep. looking. Yeah, yeah. 
That's so awesome. And my, my freshman son says, uh, well, how come, you know, there's these people who can deny the science of climate, but they don't deny the science of eclipses. And I simply said to him, if there was a billion dollar industry that could profit from the inaccuracy of eclipse science, they would question it, right? That's <laughs> what so we need if there was some way to... Hypocrisy exactly. is how... But I mean, the... it's just, it's the same way they view the Bible. Hey, what... What rationalizes my horrible behavior? Perfect. I'll memorize those quotes. <laughs> I'll memorize those quotes. The, the mean ones. Yeah. Uh, but the comedy was great, too. I saw a lot of, you know, there's a car called an eclipse, obviously. So they, there was all over the internet the pictures of a total eclipse. Trader Joe's, the it, grocery store, the, had uh, cute little signs like, uh, uh, get all your total eclipse needs with moon something wine, right, moon cookies. Right. The puns, the play on words. Yeah. Uh, they had. Uh, I saw a lot of people with eclipse glasses, where they took the eclipse gum packets and cut the. Oh, yeah. cute. <laughs> oh, that's really cute. They're all blind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't certified. They weren't glasses. certified. They're all blind now. And then, of course, uh, the last one was the internet meme: the eclipse excuses. Which is just, you know, because I couldn't, because Eclipse, man. It was just a terrible day because Eclipse. You know, it was your excuse for everything oh, for the day. Oh, okay. God, Eclipse. if we think Trump Eclipse. is cruel now, <laughs> wait until he's blind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then he's like, you know, you're, you're talking about like, you have to be in fear before you can be mean. <laughs> Well, once he can't see, yeah. he's really going to be mean. So speaking well, of Trump. I, I don't know. We could just always tell him. What he wants to hear. No, the crowd size was enormous. <laughs> no, you're still president. Yeah, perfect. So you're coming in the up, White House. So coming up, uh, a Donald Trump, because he did a big speech on Afghanistan, and then in classic Trump form, in less than 24 hours, he completely nullified everything he said by doing an Arizona rally that weighed everybody scratch heads and explode heads. This is Jeff's World. Thank you for listening. I don't want to know, no, 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 who's taking you home. found the rarefied air of Jeff's World, the place where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture is seen through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferrison, Jeff Hendrick, and uh, in addition to the unifying factor of the eclipse, also that uh, universal experience of sending your kids off to school. Oh. I'm a big geek. I like the uh, little pictures of the kids holding up the signs as fourth grade or whatever. I think it's just freaking adorable. It's like, you know, better than puppies. Because um, they're human puppies, which I kind of like. I prefer. I didn't do the sign this year. Yeah. Because of Facebook, you can just write on there second and fourth grade. Right, and right, right. You don't but have every to other sign. year, I've done the sign. Right. And so this year, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I took my son to school. He's a freshman now, starting high school, which is kind of intense. Remember when you first started high school? And, you know, we're dri- I'm driving him because my wife's like, drive him. He can't just walk. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll drive him. So I'm driving him to school. And we're grinding down the street because every parent is driving <laughs> the day to, to the first day of school, right? And it's Los Angeles. Anyway, it's Burbank. And he's getting kind of anxious, you know, and I was really relating because that's what as parents, the most indelible part of it is you relate your experience to the, what they're going through. Right. And he's getting a little anxious. I'm kind of anxious. And he's very, it's pretty aware kid. So he just says it out loud. I feel like I got a little adrenaline and stuff going. I go, you know, dude, I know why you're anxious because there's this fear of the unknown. You feel like you're going to have to understand a lot of things quickly and it's kind of intense and you don't know what's going to happen and the fear just gets you going. And I said, but here's what you do. Just think, just be curious about the day. 
and just keep that in your head. I'm curious what my teachers will be like. I'm curious what my friends will be like. I'm curious what it'll be like to go to class. And he's, oh yeah, thanks. That feels a lot better. And he, and he's starting to feel better. And I'm starting to you feel kind of such a good dad. Thank you. Oh my gosh. And so I'm starting to get emotional myself, you know, first day of school. And then some random friend of his goes by and, and cause we're grinding so slow on the street that the walking students are passing us. <laughs> right. And so the walking student passes by and I look at my son and I go, you want to go walk with, you know, Max or it was. And so he goes, looks at me, he goes, yeah, okay, yeah. And he jumps out and I just start crying because I remember that. I remember that feeling in high school when you're like, especially when you come into a new event or a new place and you're like, okay, you're scared until you find a friend, you know. And then I see him and he sees his friend and his mood totally changes, of course. And then there's another friend that he likes is running behind him, this, this kind of a, a overweight kid who's awesome. And he's jumping, he's bouncing along, catching up. And it was right out of a screenplay. And he goes up and ambushes my son and like kind of, you know, playfully tackles him. And, and I'm just like bawling, so just bawling. Because I remember that and how scary that was. You know, I'm neat now. I can go to a party. I don't have to know anybody and I love it. But when I was younger, it was like, you know, you're nervous that first day until you see your friend and then it just calms, you know. So anyway, I just want to share that. I- <laughs> well, I had similar experiences. Yesterday was the boys' first day of school, second grade and fourth grade. And um, I always get like teary-eyed and it's yeah. getting worse the older they get <laughs> because you know they're gonna be leaving me soon <laughs> i start thinking the loss and i'm like there's such i'm like oh my god you're like in second grade you're a man practically <laughs> <laughs> and you're nervous they're gonna like their teachers oh so nervous so at the end of the day um you know, Jack did the thing. He was like, are you going to walk me into my classroom? And I was like, uh, I was going to. Do you not want me? He's like, yeah, I guess it's all right. So he was in that. I don't think he wanted to hurt my feelings, right. but he just, I don't know, I guess didn't he want, he didn't want his mom to walk him in. But um, James, of course, my second grader was like, you're walking me in, right? I'm like, totally. But um, yeah, so when I pick them up and I'm just holding my breath. So how was yeah. it, Jack? Great. He said, and I said, how was it, James? Great. And they both said they really liked their teachers and they had such a fun day. And it's like, I know this is total codependency and I'm going to have to like read a book or join a group about this. But I felt really happy. And the tree was happy. I know. Because the kids were happy. And I was like, this is the best first day of school ever. Yeah. So that really was amazing. And I know you all have had this, uh, that are listening, have had similar experiences. So you're feeling it like we are. And uh, in addition to that learning teachable moment, there was a very big teachable moment in Phoenix. The folks there had the president come to town, much to the chagrin of the, the mayor there, the Democratic mayor there and things just got ugly coming up we're going to do that we're going to play a a controversial clip from cnn's don lemon who uh kind of did his assessment of what he saw that is all going to happen here on jeff's world written in these walls are the stories that i can explain the story of my life he's unhinged it's embarrassing and i don't mean for us the media because he went after us but for the country This is who we elected president of the United States, a man who is so petty that he has to go after people who he deems to be his enemy, like an imaginary friend of a six-year-old. His speech was without thought. It was without reason. It was devoid of facts. It was devoid of wisdom. There was no gravitas. 
There was no sanity there. He was like a child blaming a sibling on something else. He did it. I didn't do it. He certainly opened up the race wound from Charlottesville, a man clearly wounded by the rational people who are abandoning him in droves, meaning those business people and the people in Washington now who are questioning his fitness for office and whether he is stable. A man backed into a corner, it seems, by circumstances beyond his control and beyond his understanding. That's the truth. If you watch that speech as an American, you had to be thinking, what in the world is going on? This is the person we elected as a president of the United States? This petty? This small? The person who's supposed to pull the country together? Certainly didn't happen there. That's Don Lemon from CNN. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. This is Jeff's World. Butter emails! Benghazi! <laughs> Bill! The dress! Ah! And what he's referring to when he says uh, that people are his own people are criticizing the big comment yesterday was from Bob Corker, Tennessee senator, who said the president has not yet been able to demonstrate the stability nor some of the competence that he needs to demonstrate in order for him to be successful. It's a very kind way of putting it, really. Yeah, you know what though? But it's Bob Corker, and he's he's thrown out some crap out of his mouth that make that makes him look positively Trumpian. So. You know what? Consider the source. Not that he's wrong, because a, bloke, a broken clock may be right twice a day. <laughs> but this is one of those two times for Corker. Yeah, you know. Don't, but don't. I think you have a good point, though, when you say consider the source. And I think there's not enough of that going on right now. Not at all. It's like, you know, you have people who um, aided George W. Bush in taking us into a war on a false premise that there were weapons of mass destruction, Mm -hmm. which there weren't, Mm -hmm. still aren't. Mm -mm. And because they'll say, you know, wow, Trump is crazy. You see a rush of people like, oh, wow, he's so great. And I miss the days of George Bush. And what that does is that normalizes war criminals and and all of these people who enabled that and pushed for that. So I really appreciate your comment of consider the source. Don't just lob on because somebody's saying something that you like what they're saying in this second. (laughs) Well, be a little bit more thoughtful than that. So the reason I played Don Lemon instead of, you know, the actual, because I did, I started gathering some clips from the Trump speech and I went, you know what? No. <laughs> what Don Lemon said, ah, I'm sorry, that is, that is dead we'll see on. see how long Don Lemon is employed. Right? No, it was, it was, it was unhinged and kooky and angry. And there's, you know, there's a, CNN did 57 crazy things, you know, that he said during the speech. And you're just reading this going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and meanwhile, he threatened to, uh, pardon Sheriff Arpaio, uh, which was a funny he moment. Threaten. He will pardon. He him. implied that he will. Yeah, when he, when when the time comes, and also too fascinating thing again. If you're talking about what happens, because we know, that's that's again, the Trump has become this very much known. We're all just watching him melt down. We're waiting for the folks, enough folks to go. Yeah, this, this has got to end. Including uh, one we're going to play later. It's going to surprise you. It but, uh, it's not going to end until he actually loses his crap on live TV. 
Yeah, he present then then there will be my lost his crap. I, I oh, have no, 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 no. Oh, honey, not even close. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't said what my, is he uh, going to get girls to pee on him in front ah, of everybody? Well, we won't have time for the dossier today because there's a lot of moving on that oh, too. Yeah. But um, my little prediction, I'm going to say on the show, so it'll be official if I haven't all said it already. I when he gets impeached, when we're getting through that proceeding, I honestly think he's going to be the first person to go into the Senate and testify on his own behalf and do one of those moments, the ultimate reality show moment where he will just speak his narcissist defensive self thinking he's fixing his problem but like you just described Hendrick absolutely saying the most heinous burying thing that makes everybody go wow and just you know and end it in the most epic 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 way so So you believe that the Republicans will impeach him or the Democrats will in 2018 I don't know which will happen after I mean 2019 I should say that's the thing if and this is a warning a warning shout to everyone with an R in front of their name if you don't get it together, you're going to be unemployed. It's not 2018 years. yet. You've got until November 2018 to come around because it will. If they don't, if the Republicans don't come around and Mike Pence isn't president by the 2018 elections, there will be can people campaign a purge. There will be a purge, <laughs> and they will people will campaign saying, "If you elect me, I will impeach him." Yes, that will be a campaign promise. Oh, it's a rallying cry. It will be a, so if they don't have Pence president by again. Well before November 2018. Yeah, if they don't get that before 2018, the Republicans will not control power for the next four generations. I mean, it could be party it could be ended. It could be like the years. Whigs. They could yeah. disappear. Well, with Chris Kobach in charge of election integrity. Yeah, even he's And he took off this. a million voters. Which, yeah. will, and they which will, nobody, like, still has done anything about on the Democrat side. They will be put back on the rolls. Even Chris Kobach, as Secretary of State of Kansas, refused his own order to deliver voter rules. I know, isn't that hilarious? Yeah. So meanwhile, back in Phoenix, uh, one of the things that went down, in addition to, uh, uh, there was a protest, thousands of peaceful protesters. And of course, if you're looking at your right-wing friends and your right-wing sites right now, they're talking about Antifa and all the bad people to protest. But the same thing happened, it happens every time. Peaceful protest, creative folks with signs making their point, and then after the event, as it goes on, when most people have gone home, the families have left, in comes these folks dressed in black who are the call themselves Antifa sometimes, which is anti-fascist, uh, other things. They don't call themselves anything, anything. They just come in and just be so violent. So who are they? Yeah, it's an excellent question. N- they're not part of the peaceful protest. They're just crowd. people who like a fight. They're, and I always call them the bar brawlers. You know, the folks who like to show up at the bar at, at, at 1230 because they know they're going to get into a fight. I had people that were once my friends that used to enjoy going to bars and fighting just for the sake of it. And that's who these folks are. So during just, you know, uh, right? Trump's speech. I don't think they're that innocent, man. I think they're getting paid. No, well, that may all, it may be some of that, too. I think there are agents provocateur because this it's is entirely play, possible. This is a page right out of the old 1960s FBI playbook when they send in people to the Black Panthers and they send in people to the Red Brigade and yeah. Meiter Meinhof. I mean, every play, Yeah, every Hitler did it, Gulf of Tonkin, all these moments where we just create a, uh, a false fight, right? right? So, so during um, Trump's speech, police attacked the thousands of protesters with tear gas and pepper balls. There are also some reports that the police fired rubber-coated steel bullets at the protesters. Yeah, uh, yeah. One guy they have it on video on. who got shot with a non-lethal gun, and then the police claimed that he didn't get shot. But then you could watch the video; he got shot with a non-lethal gun. So, but it was basically peaceful. Yes, we could have a whole discussion on the on the on police, you know, militarism, which again we we come back to on occasion. Uh, but another thing occurred, too, is there was uh, some chanting from the crowd that McCain needs to die now. Um, and they had signs. 
And uh, Megan McCain, her, his daughter, of course, retweeted and said, I wouldn't wish seeing this about your own father on my worst enemy. May God help these people who inflict such cruelty in the world. Yeah, let's talk about God. You want to bring God into this, Megan? Let's go <laughs> ahead and bring God into this, shall we? Let's talk about your father and how God-like he is. Okay. So <laughs> you're going to cut me off. But no. you know why? No, no, that's cool. Yeah. Megan's right. What do I know? No, that's I mean, fine. John McCain. We could do an episode on John McCain and the inconsistency of John McCain. But here's what's happening. These people that have preached hate toward um, whether they're liberals or Democrats or black people or yeah. brown people, they are starting to receive some of that and what that is like. For example, there was a clip about some guy, maybe you saw it, where he was really going off about how could Donald Trump let his beautiful daughter be yes. with... during the Charlottesville. It was know, the Cantwell. Jewish yeah, we're going to person, come to that. which is Jared Kushner. And it's like, you know, at the same time, whether these people are, you know, hurting poor people people of color, people who are Muslim, different ethnicities, they're starting to receive some of that back. And 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 this is like, you know, kind of what you put out there is what you get. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, when 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 Ivanka Trump, you talked earlier about how how oh, she's never seen such a mean people during a presidential <laughs> yeah, election. It's yeah. like, uh, do you know your dad headed the birther movement? Yes. Right? A man who loves facts so much. Yeah, I love facts. Huge facts. Bigly facts. Uh, and speaking of bigly facts, the Trump supporters to the, to the, after the rally today were passing around this picture of all the crowds, the massive crowd of their supporters. And the whole time, it was not only a fake picture, it was the Cleveland Cavaliers victory celebration. It wasn't even Arizona. I mean, this is how sad, sad uh, this whole thing is because it doesn't make sense. And, and, the, and to your point, Erica, they're eating their own. You know, it's it's this infighting is ramping up. Um, you know, there it's it's Donald Trump against Paul Ryan. You know, and the other one is uh, in in right in Arizona. Now, of course, he he didn't name Donald Trump didn't name Jeff Flake and Senator McCain, right? But when it, what was really gone, of course, he was attacking them, and he was supporting Chemtrail Kelly Ward. Have you heard of this one, this lady yet? <laughs> so there, she ran against John McCain, and she's going to run again now against Jeff Flake, right? And she's kind of a whack job, and it's so much infighting that Mitch McConnell's Senate PAC made an ad. Uh, let me grab it up if I can here. Oh, here we go. Here it is with Kim Chael Kelly Ward. One year ago, Arizona Republicans rejected Kim Trail Kelly Ward. Remember why? Ward wasted your tax dollars for a town hall on chemtrail conspiracy theories and sponsoring chemtrail legislation. I'm open. I introduce legislation for constituents all the time. About another chemtrail town hall? I'd do it again. Of course I would do it again. Chemtrail Kelly's got her head in the clouds with crazy ideas. 
she bizarrely blamed John McCain for ISIS. John McCain is directly responsible for the rise of ISIS. Yet dangerously calls for restraint in fighting them. What is your response to ISIS? Restraint and realism. Now, after losing big league to John McCain, Chemtrail Kelly says he should resign so she can be senator. Step away as quickly as possible. I should be at the top of the list for appointment to that Senate seat. Embarrassing behavior. Dangerous ideas. No wonder Republicans rejected her just one year ago. Chemtrail Kelly. Not conservative. Just crazy ideas. So, wow. Um, And that's a Republican ad against a Republican, you know, I mean, obviously that happens in primaries and things, but it's this is this is pretty over the top. Uh, (laughs) They're not messing around anymore. And the other thing that came out was so bizarre. After Charlottesville, one of the speakers, the organizers of Unite the Right, that's what's called the Unite the Right rally, Jason Kessler. He was kind of embarrassed uh, by the crowd, by the the anti-Nazis, uh, and wasn't allowed to speak. And so the Nazis got kind of embarrassed by it. And so uh, I have to know, uh, on Snopes, the, they did this article about how the right, and I was looking around, the right is now purporting this theory that Jason Kessler is actually a plant by George Soros and is funded by the left. And it's like this guy is you know neo Nazi to the core. He's not in any way, but but that's what you were talking about, Erica. And that George Soros is a Jew hater, right? And and when you when you, and I use that word because that's the word the phrase that they use, right? And when you associate uh, with conspiracy theorists who are just victim identifiers and destroyers, then they're going to turn on you. You will never have a friend. <laughs> you you will only have them be an loose alliance while you share an enemy. Right. Ah. And the second you don't share an enemy anymore, then they have to find a new one. And if it's you, then it's you. And so Jason Kessler didn't fit anymore because he bungled their event. So now he must be a leftist under George Soros. So I just want to go back and emphasize that point that you made, because I think that is a really good point. And I think that, you know, maybe most of us can relate to at some point in our lives, not on this level, But even on a smaller level, perhaps within family, within friends, when you are really connecting with somebody over the uh, rejection or perceived enemy or the putting down of a third person. Yes, yes. Right? Like, you know, the two family members against the other family member or the two friends against... And so, you know, that's on the micro level, but and then you bring it up to this level. And that is such an interesting point right. that where these types of people, conspiracy theory, theorists, you know, you think you have a friendship, but really it's an alliance as long as you have a shared common enemy. enemy. And it has to be an enemy. That's the dark side of it, of course. It's not a shared common purpose. Because right. purpose brings people together. A shared To common... actually do something, not destroy. Yeah, and it lives beyond you. And it grows exponentially from it. But, uh, you know, a shared enemy <laughs> only stays as long as the hatred is seething. Right. So anyway, that coming up, we're going to do more of that because a, a comedian, a famous civil rights comedian who pursued led, who paved the path for Richard Pryor, Jack Gregory. I mean, Dick Gregory, he, he died recently, too. And uh, that's leads us into our discussion on racism. We're going to get a little thick here, but this is where it is all 
being talked about. This is where America is having its biggest growth and its biggest discussion. It's our original sin, and it is way overdue for us to talk about this. And so let's do it. This is Jeff's World. I can't stand to fly. I'm not there. Thank you for being a citizen of Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. Actually, Jeff had to uh, take off uh, cancer. You know, it's a thing. Uh, it requires doctor's appointments and things. So uh, we wish him well, always. Yes. Obviously, he'll, uh, he'll, he's going through his process, uh, sometimes with optimism, sometimes with terror. But that's exactly what you'd expect, right? It's kind of how cancer goes. Uh, what we were talking about is um, the common drama. That's the, the more easy term of it. This idea that how people can be unified by a common drama but not, or a common enemy, even more specifically, but not necessarily by a common good or a common purpose. Because a purpose will drive you forward, but a, a common enemy will just keep you united temporarily and then you'll turn on each other. And that couldn't be more reflective in, in our race discussion, our, our bigotry our, you know, that's in this country, our original sin of slavery and then, of course, the oppression of it. If you haven't seen the Thirteenth, once again, the documentary. If you're, especially if you're a white person, you will find it incredibly illuminating. Yeah, and I thought uh, the movie Detroit oh. was so well done. Um, oh, okay. And people say, "Oh, it's hard to watch," and it's like, "Yes, it is." Imagine <laughs> like having America. experienced yeah. it. So the <laughs> least you could do is feel a little uncomfortable. No, but the point is that you know that's what art does. Whether it's through film or music, right? It it's. I think that the goal of it is to make one feel perspective, and um, it, you know, I think the thirteenth makes one feel and learn, and I think Detroit really makes one feel as much as one can without you know, you know, maybe being a person of color or having similar experiences, and and I think that helps open people up. Yeah. And one of the early feelers and learners in the civil rights movement was Dick Gregory, the comedian. He um, born uh, in 1932, to give an idea. He just died at age 84. It's funny. I love in Wikipedia. It says an American comedian, civil rights activist, social critic, writer, entrepreneur, conspiracy theorist, and occasional actor. But uh, my favorite line from him. Now, again, he was doing comedy in about 1958. So imagine that context. He paved the way for folks like Richard Pryor or Dave Chappelle, even more in a modern sense. He has this great joke where he says, I sat down in a southern diner and they said, we don't serve colored people. I said, good, I don't eat colored people. Yeah. And it's like, it's such an old simple joke, but in the context of 1958, uh, that is a powerful thing to do because that was not even remotely a comfortable subject for folks. And of course, now we just went through the Charlottesville experience. We were uh, dark last week, so we didn't get to have a, an instant discussion about it. And I want to keep the coverage a little bit short on it. But there was some big stuff that came out of it. And of course, the punditry and the people and how they, they followed it and what they said. And just to refresh your memory again, you remember what uh, Trump said, the whole both sides. The First, it was the during the, the the scripted speech, he threw in the many sides, many sides. There was violence on many sides, many sides. But then he, and when he did his infrastructure uh, two days later, the he went off script and, and did this whole thing, right? There was a group on this side, you can call them the left, you've just called them the left, that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. <laughs> Well, I do think there's blame. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at you look at both sides. 
I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. And, 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 and if you reported it accurately, you would say. They showed up in Charlottesville. They showed up in Charlottesville. They showed up in Charlottesville. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides. Now, of course, that made everyone's discussion explode and discuss, you know, wait, what? Neo-Nazis? So basically you had the side that were Nazis who were there for hate and you had the people who were like, hmm, that's not okay with us. We're going to stand up to that. And to steal a quote from Jimmy Dore, yeah. he said, I remember, because this whole thing goes on, this speech, and right. like calling the left the alt-left right. and all that stuff. And Jimmy Dore said something I think that was poignant and also really made me laugh. He said, I remember the first time the alt-left uh, fought the alt-right. It was called Normandy. Whoa. <laughs> because that's nice what one. Americans did. Yeah. They defeated the Nazis. Remember when that was a good thing in America? Yeah. When we stood up to the Nazis and defeated them? But now when you stand up to <laughs> Nazis, somehow that's not okay in we have to be sympathetic to their Trump's you know, white side. America. Yeah, Un- unequivocally received in a way by only again. I have some friends who still received it. I was amazed as well. They're blamed too, and it's like well, on the pure idea of somebody and and the police did arrest uh, protesters from the quote unquote left if they did something wrong. Of course, um, the but police then it was- also didn't do a lot of arresting and turned the other way when people on the left were getting beaten almost to death by the Nazis. You know Greg Palast. He's been on this show. I've got to find, you know, I was listening to him, uh, him on an interview the other day, but apparently he has footage of these neo Nazis. Uh, in Charlottesville beating this. Uh, he happens to be a teacher and he was a person of color. I mean, jumping on him. Like he's like yeah. surprised this man is even still alive. And um, everybody was saying, oh, well, we don't know who those people were, so we can't do anything. Well, he said he posted it and anonymous got a hold of what Greg Palace posted, did whatever they do, and were able to identify... They doxed him. Yeah. They got his docs the, out there. The his information. Nazis who were, you know, just nearly killing this man. And Greg Palace has turned that over to the FBI and all of the authorities, and they're still claiming... There's nothing they can do to look into this any further. Right. It's a little tricky. Um, But yeah, anyway, if you're asking yourself, are are we evolving? Are we getting worse? Charlottesville was ugly and it resulted in a murder. And it was, you know, (sighs) ugly on so many ways. But some good news. First of all, there was a few hundred Nazis and several thousand, a couple thousand uh, folks who were standing up on behalf of equality. 
And that is in stark contrast, if you go back to, I don't know, say the time when all the Confederate statues went up during the Woodrow Wilson presidency, there you had thousands of neo-Nazis, thousands of Ku Klux Klan members walking Pennsylvania Avenue and nobody opposing them because they would have been not only politically you know, revealed but killed. They could have literally been killed by this group. So it's I want to ask you a question difference. about that. And I, I like that you point that out. And I want to ask you a question about that. So when I think in my mind about, you know, people knew these Nazis were going to have this protest, right? Right. So then they're like, you know, we're that's not okay with us. We're going to stand up to this. So part of me thinks like, you know, or I just wonder, and this is where I want to have the discussion, you know, that can make things bigger and give them even more attention, right? right? So do you like, you know, that's my beef with like, you know, a lot of our news coverage. Yeah. Um, and like with Donald Trump, sorry, anytime the, the media, they gave, I think it's documented $1.9 billion worth of free coverage. Cause he just said crazy things and they covered to it. To Donald Trump. Yeah, so yeah. the next time I hear, you know, people who, uh, voted for Jill Stein or did as the people who lost this election, which is a very small percentage, how about the part of the media that donated nearly $2 billion? Yeah. But anyway, but so so part of me wonders, like, so is it better to not show up and just have the lowly hundred there and then be like, look at how pathetic it, this is? Or is it important to, you know, um, to make a statement and a showing of this is not okay and not in our name and not in our city um, I don't know. Our listeners are going to think you set this up because I have the perfect answer. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, we just got a beautiful example of it. In Boston, okay. there was another neo-Nazi protest that followed the Charlottesville one, or, or not, uh, Nazi demonstration, right? And in addition to a march, which they did down the street, which was a bunch of folks who were not, not the Nazi marks, the march, but the, the pro-equality, pro-inclusiveness you know, marches went down the street. But while the neo-Nazis were doing their thing, the KKK group, the nationalists, and running out of terms, alt-right. They you were, can just call them Nazis. No, nah, let's call them Nazis. You don't need any other terms. I think that works. Uh, they're in this, I saw this video footage, right? And they're in this kind of gazebo, surrounding this gazebo, much like they did in Charlottesville. Where they were, it was, it was, instead of being a monument, it was this gazebo. And so there's like 50, 60, maybe 100 of them that are hanging out, these, neo, these Nazis. And then there are a good thousand or plus of the pro of the of the protesters of Antifa as they would say on the right but which folks, stands for anti-fascist anti-fascist they make it sound like some sort of weird organization and, and it isn't even organized there isn't an actual organization but anyway um there was this amazing moment where they not only protested but they kept a distance of 100 yards so there was this massive gap between the neo-nazi cluster and the rest of sanity and they did that, and then talking to the organizer, and I'm watching this interview with this guy, and he says, we came, he says, their ideas will die in this sunlight today. <sighs> and we will keep our distance so that we will not in any way be associated with them or baited into any kind of violence or conflict. So they did exactly the point you just made, that the protesters have learned and said, you know what? We're going to prevent a skirmish by not even being anywhere near them. We're going to make our voices heard, but we're not going to be in proximity to them. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Right. That's that's great. So, 
that's that's where we're moving, and I think that's very encouraging. You say one more well, thing. I was just like, even as you were talking, I remembered when I went to Washington upon George Bush's reelection, and I um, participated in a protest that was. Um, it was called Turn Your Back. So basically, you know, we went to the inauguration and we just (laughs) simply turned our back. Right. So I could see something like that, that allows, um, you know, the, I don't, you know, the anti-Nazis, the people who don't believe in, you know, killing uh, or oppressing Jewish people and people of color and and different religions, um, showing up to, I guess, their protests and turning their backs and maybe linking arms. But, but that, wow, that's, it's so, I, I got chills. I was teary. And it's so beautiful because of the creativity on the on the movement of folks trying to say that no we're we're for inclusiveness is so I- impressive as opposed to the third grade mentality of this president which is really sad sad um but yes, one more thing, and then I want to tell a story. Go. Well, I have a question, and if you want to like postpone it, yeah. we can. <laughs> Because as we're talking about this, I'm just wondering, you know, I know that we didn't record last week and you were saying that some of your listeners were like, oh, we we missed you. We really wanted to hear you with this Charlottesville thing going on. And it's like, I just wanted to ask you, what is it that you think that, you know, your listener or our listeners were wanting? I always feel like one of the jobs of our show is to remind people the context that we are evolving and that we are getting beautiful lessons out of this. Because even though it is the ugliest of ugly, but this is where the best lessons happen. Uh, to me, that's and, – and, and then you can hear that and say, that's right. You know, I, I can't BS anybody into thinking everything is sunshine and roses because nobody would believe me. But if I tell somebody a comparison like I just did between Woodrow Wilson's time and today's time or the way the Boston protest adapted, that makes you say, oh, okay, that's pretty great. And even though they have to – and they have to pass around pictures of, of Cleveland Cavaliers celebrations to make it seem like they've got a big rally. Right. <laughs> when the it's real pathetic. mass of people was the folks who were giving their voices to immigrants and to black folks and the colored folks and to whatever, all the different – I say colored in the – obviously the context, of, <laughs> not in the derogatory. But, um, you know, that's – to me is what this show makes it different, I think, is a lot of shows just rant. I always just say I didn't want to get into radio to do revenge radio. Mm-hmm. I like much of what radio is, but instead to so say you, they were feeling radio. so down and depressed at yeah. the state of affairs. They were wanting to yeah. say, where's Jeff's world to give us a, right? a lifeline here? I have one listener in particular, two, really, kind of two that I, that I talked to who who doesn't who can't even listen to Donald Trump anymore because they're just, they're just so sick to their stomach when they watch it. So they're like, they listen to this show so they can kind of hear can, a clip like, and then a perspective. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't even play any of the speech today because it's like our reaction is all that matters anyway. I think if you really wanted to suffer through that, his third grade speech off the cuff of undoing and making worse his neo-Nazism because he doubled down on the Nazism during the speech too. Jeff's world. We'll listen to Donald Trump so you (laughs) don't don't have have to. to. Yeah. So uh, coming up, I want to continue this discussion because um, that moment in Charlottesville led to some stuff that followed that you may not have missed or may have missed. One of them was on Fox News, a moment where folks are kind of betraying their own fear. They're showing their own scared about their discomfort with how they feel about their race versus other races. And I'd like to tell my story of you know why I'm the way I am, because I think if you look at your own, for your purpose to look at your own story, because when you look at how you got to where you are, you may find, because we have a little racism test uh, that we're going to take you and I'll play with on the air and, and try to honestly answer if you've had some of these thoughts before. 
that will be coming up. Uh, that was Eric Ferris, and I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Jeff's World. First things first, I'm going to say all the this is Jeff's World, the purple state of mind with the amber airwaves of grain. I'm Jeff Stein. Erica Farrison here. So is Jeff. Well, Jeff Hendrick took off. He had to go, but uh, you know how that is. And uh, we are talking about race in America because, hey, <laughs> we have a Nazi sympathizing president. From the moment that Charlottesville situation occurred, and we saw the tones of the nationalism throughout the entire campaign, and it was coming in all the time. But once I saw I saw that, I, I was like a lot of folks said, well, that pretty much does the trick. That's now I, I had this weird lens switch. Remember I told, we talked about the liar lens in the last show that once you determine somebody's a BS or you just everything you say from their mouth now from henceforth is, is perceived through the lens of lies, a lie Suspect. testing. And now it's like, okay, well, then now we just kind of go, well, that's interesting. You want to do infrastructure, but you're a racist. So you're, you're a Nazi. So that means that it, everything you do is going to have the intent to create that circumstance. So, um, yeah. And I want to talk again about Charlottesville and what happened. And there was a great documentary. We put it on the Facebook page, too. In fact, that Vice News did in there. The young lady reporter, I can't remember her name. I apologize. But she went in there and followed around Christopher Cantwell and, and, their, and that group and got great video footage. Get a real, And, there, of course, there's a lot of video footage out there because there was a lot of folks there. And there was a horrible tragedy where they uh, went, the neo-Nazi drove his car into the crowd and killed Heather Heyer. But... Um, the, what followed, in addition to Donald Trump saying, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not uh, you know, it's fine, very fine people on both sides. I'm watching Fox News. You guys probably some of you may have seen this clip. Melissa Francis, one of the, the, the spokes blondes on there. That was that was not fair. Uh, one of the ladies who she happens to be blonde, uh, who uh, was talking with Juan Williams, who's an African-American guy and um, some other folks on the panel. And I want to play this little discussion and, and you can hear for her emotional moment, which I think is kind of betraying where her fears are. So uh, take a listen and see what you think about this. They don't say both sides. To say. He said They're, both sides have blame. Yeah, Everybody I don't think that both sides have blame. Weapon, it had a part in the violence. No, if you're a patriot and you show up That's to stand Williams. up for American values and say that it is wrong to be racist That's and to stand outside a synagogue with automatic machine guns and scare the Jewish people inside, I think that okay, is well, not to be equivocal. You're talking about something totally different. No one said equivocal. No one said equal. And that's one of the places where this went off the rails. He never said equal blame. He said there I were mean, very good no, people among the neo-Nazi protesters. He did, Don't roll your eyes. He, he did say those words. He Alyssa. didn't say there were very good people among neo-Nazi protesters. He said there were very, very good people on, on the that. other side. There are people that were opposed was clear to the what he statues. Was talking about. Look at, Here look, it comes. Can I tell you this? I am so uncomfortable having this conversation. And that's what this woman said before this, because I know what's in my heart. And I know that I don't think anyone is different, better or worse based on the color of their skin. But I feel like there is nothing any of us can say right now without being judged. You know, Melissa, there have been a lot of tears on our network and across the country and around the world. Um, we have people who are serving, as my father lady. did. He came to visit. We took him Trying to the to Statue of Liberty her. for the first time in his life yesterday. <laughs> we cried together. It's a difficult place where we are. But it's not where we've been, it's where we are. This is not 1950, we can do this. It, we can have this conversation. Oh yes, we can. And it's okay if we cry having it. I love that she said, oh yes, yes we can. Quoting Obama inadvertently. Uh, but 
the fear. I'm, I'm playing that. Listen, listen to that when she gets teary, right? Don't roll your eyes. He, he did say those words. He Melissa. didn't say there were very good people. Among- and as Erica puts out, yes, his exact words were very fine people on both sides. And then, of course, he said the blame was on many sides. A neo-Nazi protesters. He said there were he very good people on the that. other side. There are people that were opposed to It was clear what he was talking about. Here look, it comes. Look, can I tell you this? I am so uncomfortable having this conversation. And that's what this woman said before this, because I know what's in my heart. And I know that I don't think anyone is different, better, or worse based on the color of their skin. But I feel like there is nothing any of us can say right now without being judged. Okay, so hear that. Right? There's nothing we can say without being judged. Okay, so obviously it's about her. Right? That is key. She has taken something that is about, again, I mean, she feels how many attacked. times did these people get co-opted from their music to their art to even the discussion of race itself? It's co-opted and she makes it about her being rejected because she's white apparently and she's going to be judged and and you know to my well-meaning progressive friends you know i i say to you when you have conversations of race and when you are with um you know people that this affects directly people with black and brown skin hold your emotions have that much strength because what happens is the person who then cries co-ops it and makes it all about, then it's all about comforting the white person that's in the that. group. Did you catch that? Because the black lady who followed, I forgot her name, she immediately goes, it's okay, we're all crying, it's fine, it's all crying. And they missed the point. They missed the point of the discomfort of what's going on with this woman that she feels so victimized and rejected and so scared of something. She's really scared. You don't cry like that unless you're scared or obviously in the case. And that's one of the reasons why I told the story of us going back to school and getting emotional Mm -hmm. because you can cry. But even when I was telling my teary eyed story of dropping off my son, I was crying because I remember how scared I was. Mm -hmm. That's why I told that story Mm -hmm. because it scared me to think that you could be rejected and alone or walk into a social situation and feel like nobody likes me. Mm -hmm. This is what she did. This is what, uh, what's her name again? I'm sorry, Melissa Francis of Fox News there was feeling. She's scared that she's not any good anymore and she's going to be rejected because, you know, and that was Mm -hmm. what was coming out of her. That's where our work is, right? For white folks, that's the work. And for black folks, it's, you know, obviously a different work of having to go, yeah, where y'all been, you know? And and so I'm very proud of our country to have these kind of discussions because that wouldn't have ever happened. Someone like that woman, I'm not going to judge Melissa Francis in particular, but you take her type of woman 40 years ago, she wouldn't have gone to, to fear of rejection or fear of her identity being questioned. She would have gone right to what the KKK does, which is rage, and mm-hmm. say, well, these people need to shut up because she would have gone to the relief of rage. But instead, she couldn't get out of the terror of rejection and worthlessness and lowliness mm-hmm. that she and so it scared her and she cried, I'll be judged. Everyone's going to judge me. Mm-hmm. You know. And so that's the undertone when somebody says, I'm sick of this political correctness. What it is is they're afraid that their identity is no longer valued. 
that somehow folks of color now have a greater value because there's so much discussion, you know, there's so much discussion about transgender, so much discussion about people of color. So, so these white folks get feel like, well, what about me? I still have an identity. I'm still valid. And they go to the sweet relief of rage going, screw this political correct crap. I'm not going to soften my words to protect you because the subtext is I'm under attack. So I'm not going to protect you. I'm under attack for my identity. And so we got to look at these questions, (laughs) y'all. Right? And this is the opportunity to look at these questions and look at aspects within ourselves where, you know, we have you know, been racist. Yeah, this is our original sin. And again, in a minute here coming up, we're going to do a little racist test so you can kind of do it yourself. But I also want to get into the head of Christopher Cantwell, which again, the leader of the, one of the leaders of this Unite the Right movement in Charlotte. And he was a, a key feature of this documentary. And then he also exposed his fear in a video that hit the internet later. And this is such a lesson. If you want to learn something from a neo-Nazi, stick around. This is going to be fun. And this is Jeff's World. Waking up to kiss you and nobody's there. This is Jeff's World, where we feelize our way to a saner future. Hopefully, I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Fairston. And um, I want to give you a little taste of Christopher Cantwell. because there's something to be learned here. Again, this is this first segment is from the Vice News. You can go to Vice News and you can see their their documentary. They did like a 20 minute documentary of Charlottesville, and it's it's pretty well done. And he's the star of it. And if you've seen it, you will recognize this clip. All right, so I came pretty well prepared for this thing today. Caltech P380AT, 380 ACP, Glock 19, nine millimeter, Ruger LC9, also nine millimeter, and uh, oh, and there's a knife. Well, I actually have another AK in that bag over there. Um, you get lose track of your guns, huh? I'd say it was worth it. We knew that we were going to meet a lot of resistance. Uh, the fact that nobody on our side died, I, I'd go ahead and call that uh, points for us. The fact that none of our people killed anybody unjustly, I think, is a plus for us. Um, and I think that we showed, uh, we showed our rivals that we won't be cowed. But the car that struck... A protester that's un, unprovoked. That's not true, and you know that it's not true. You've seen the video. So. I've seen a video. I, yeah. I don't know much about it. Oh, I, I, the, I understand can that you you're... describe what the video well, appears uh, to show? Okay, so the video appears to show someone striking that vehicle when these animals attacked him again, and he saw no way to get away from them except to hit the gas. Uh, and sadly because our rivals are a bunch of stupid animals who don't pay attention uh, they couldn't just get out of the way of his car and some and some people got hurt and that's unfortunate so you think it was justified I think it was more than justified I, I, I can't believe the amount of restraint that our people showed out there I think was astounding what do you think this means for the next alt-right protest I say it's going to be really tough to top but we're up to the challenge wait why why? Tough to top. I mean, someone died. I, I think that a lot more people are going to die before we're done here, frankly. Why? Why? Because people die every day, right? I mean, do you... But not do, like of a heart attack. I mean, violent death. Well, people die violent deaths all the time, right? Like, this is part of the reason that we want an ethno state, right? So, like, the, the blacks are killing each other in staggering numbers from coast to coast. We don't really want to have a part of that anymore. And so, the fact that they resist us when we say, hey, we want a homeland... It's not shocking to me, all right? These these people want violence, and the right is just meeting market demand. Meeting market demand. 
Uh, by the way, that's Elle Reeve. I looked up her name. She's the uh, reporter there. Brave young lady. Uh, she looks fairly young, 30s tops, um, who just did a great job. At, I'm so impressed with her objective vision, too. She just went, well, what did you see the video? Tell me what you saw. You know, I am so shocked from hearing this right now. I I'm speechless. So the way he said those animals are so yeah. stupid, uh, they couldn't get so dehumanizing mm-hmm. the other human beings. And this is what, you know, this is what racism does to to the people who inflict, you know, and carry on racist uh, ideologies. It it takes away their own humanity. Yeah. And if you think that it stops with or stays within, oh, it's just people of color. No, it'll be, well, they're from the south and we're from the north. They're from the east. They're from the west. They're Californians. They're Democrats. Uh, You know, whatever it is, it can this type of violence continues. But so that he how he dehumanized them, because and, you know, that's. You know, that's what propaganda did, right? Like in World War II, yep. our newspapers, our media, they would depict Japanese people as rats. Yeah. Why is that? Why as do you... Why do you... Nearsighted, you know, monsters. But a lot of times it's animals yeah. like this guy did. And the reason is, is because we... It's within most of our minds, except for like the really, you know, awesome uh, vegetarians, I guess... Most of us could kill a rat without a problem, yeah. right? Like it's well, a rodent. You, you could, yeah, yeah. We, we get rid of or it. Or a cockroach, so, or whatever you call them cockroaches, but, this sort of thing. Right, but that Vermin same person that could maybe do that could not kill another human being. So what do you do? You de- dehumanize yes. them, right? Yes. Um, and you co- label them as rats, as animals. And I mean, wow, talk about blaming the victim. Yeah. They couldn't get away from our from the speeding car. Yeah. And let's talk about, um, you know, I was listening earlier how... That somehow the driver was attacked and had to respond by trying to get a... I mean, that's just crazy. If anyone's seen the video, too. I mean, he went into the crowd. He got went and got his car and, and drove into other vehicles and slammed those vehicles and shoved them into the crowd. There was no doubt. It was deliberate. It was malicious. It was premeditated. It was premeditated. It was he drove at least from premeditated Ohio that day. Yeah. to Virginia. Yeah. And again, stealing from the Jimmy Dore show, you know, they were showing how, um, I think it was CBS, they're calling it um, a fatal car wreck. Oh, jeez. This is an act of terrorism. It was an act of terrorism. And Jimmy Dore Even Paul Ryan was able to call it that. Even Mitch McConnell were able to call it that. That's, so listen now on the news, how they're referring to it as a fatal fatal car wreck. And Jimmy Dore was like, oh, you mean when the guy accidentally got into his car in, in Ohio, Ohio <laughs> drove all the way, yep. you know, to another state, yep. he, this, this is terrorism. And then, and then they were going on, they're like, oh, like that fatal car wreck in Nice. Right. Like the fatal car France, wreck in, Bar- uh, in Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. Right. These are acts of terrorism when it's. Everywhere else, and it's people of color in the car, but this is just a just an accident. Yeah, it happened to be fatal. Yeah, and you know, it's it, what's interesting is I have a law enforcement friend who used to always say the biggest haters, like Nazis and such, are the biggest babies when they get in trouble, and that makes perfect sense because, in, again, as I said in the top of the show, in order to be mean, you have to first be scared. 
And if you show me a neo-Nazi who's screaming hate, I guarantee you he's scared to death. He is terrified. And that and that's true. Again, we talked about it in the last segment. He's driven, he or she, and there were women in the crowd too. There were women neo-Nazis there. And they are driven by their terror that they, as an identity, as a white people, are going to be eliminated. And if you thought you were going to be eliminated, you know, and if you really believe that nonsense, um, you would fight in some way. You would create a victimhood in your head that would grieve, that would distort your ideas into some sort of twisted reality. Well, that's um, what I think at, like about the evangelicals who, if you really believe, no, but if you um, really believe, you have to convert some souls to go uh, to heaven or else you are damned or not going to be in good standing right? and you that's pretty terrifying to have that all of you know yeah. eternity so you would go out there with vigor too trying to recruit yeah. you know people to your your religion yeah and so part 2 of Christopher Cantwell is about a 2 days later after Charlottesville he got into some trouble Apparently, Virginia authorities were seeking him for arrest because of his something illegal he did. I've heard it was either illegal guns because he brought in the AK, all this other stuff. I don't know because Virginia does have some gun laws, even though you can it was open carry enough that they could carry him around. Or he actually got into some you know some scuffles, which I understand too, but I don't know which one it was. But at any rate. He does his regular, like they all do, you know, some little YouTube where they talk about their stuff. And he's kind of, well, sniveling like a baby. You can hear it for yourself if I can get it up. I contacted the, the local police. I called the Charlottesville Police Department and I asked them, I, I said, I have, I have been told that there's a warrant out for my arrest. And they, yeah, uh, right. they said that they wouldn't confirm it, but that I could find this out if I, <clears throat> excuse me that I could find this out if I wanted to go to a local magistrate or something like that. But with everything that's happening, I don't think it's wise for me to be, you know, going, going anywhere. There's a state of emergency. The national guard is here. Um, sorry. I have emailed okay. Stephen Tenney of the King police this department. He's one of the cops who came there. Um, <clears throat> he's one of the cops who saved my ass when I had to pull my gun in Keen. And I emailed him and I said, I don't know what to do. I need guidance. Um, I want to be peaceful. I want to be law-abiding. Okay, that was the whole entire point of this. <laughs> right? so I'm watching CNN That's talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful. You know, I know we talk a lot of shit on the Internet, right? But like literally, Jason Kessler applied for a permit like months ago for this, okay? Them, when they yanked know, our victim, permit, victim. we went to the ACLU and we went to court and we won. Which is hilarious. The ACLU did defend their right. People on the, on the right, uh, my friends and my conservative friends, they hate the ACLU for its one job of defending the Constitution, the Bill of Rights of the Constitution. And not only have they defended folks like, you know, again, Rush Limbaugh in his doctor shopping case, yep. but they've defended neo-Nazis' right to protest. And this is another case of that. Mm -hmm. So before you hate, hate on it, well, of course, you should hate on them for defending neo-Nazis. So. We've been coordinating with law enforcement the entire time. Every step of the way, we've tried to do the right thing. And they just won't stop, you know? We have done everything in our power. We have used every peaceful and, and lawful means by which to redress our grievances. And our enemies just will not stop. And there it is. 
Again, when you align with folks who do one thing in life, which is believe deeply in their victimhood and then spend all day identifying the enemies of why they're victims, even when he's trapped and he's terrified and he's a baby right now. And you're right, it's pathetic. And of course, the Internet went crazy and just mocked the crap out of this guy because he went from neo-Nazi into bubbling, uh, babbling idiot. But don't miss the lesson. Because there's a little bit of this in everybody. We all have this in us. You know, when our little victimhood, hopefully most of us have small versions of victimhood. You know, we're not carrying it to a neo-Nazi level. But, you know. Watch we, your own victimhood. Because we do the poor me thing. And then we just like, what's her name on Fox News? You know, Francis there, Melissa Francis. And it's just like, I, they're just going to judge me no matter what I do. Well, then you don't know yourself. And you don't know the truth of who you are. And you're you're focusing on your fear. You're preoccupied with your belief that people hate you or that you are rejected or unappreciated or something, some version of that. And a guy like Christopher Cantwell, obviously, is convinced he is the most rejected person ever. And then again, they replace that with strength of conviction. They replace their fear that they're nothing with strength of conviction, which is, well, then I will join a group and this group of neo-Nazis will stand with me and we will all be strong together because the whole world hates us. They hate us. So we'll hate them. And there you go. And around and around and around it goes. And then on top of that, in in victimhood, you create self-fulfilling prophecies. Yes. So, you create your victimhood. <laughs> you know, as I'm listening to this, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, where do where where in my life, where am I, you know, where do I act like a victim? Right, we all. How can I but because if, you know, if we are not aware of it, we can't we can't change it. Yeah. So the first step right is being aware. But um but yeah, so so if you're just continuing to be in that victimhood, like for example, you know, somebody who says, uh, you know, oh, my God, I can't find a job. I can't find a job. I can't find a job. Applies for a job and Nobody doesn't get me. it. Nobody wants me. See? See? I can't find a job and just quit. Eh, can't find like instead of like, OK, well, I didn't get that one. Yeah. Let but me try for the next I'm one. I'm sure I'm a gift do- to some experience. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 there's an old uh, Wayne Wayne Dyer story that I heard Wayne Dyer mm. himself tell. And mm. he was saying um, he lived in Florida and he said he was on the beach and he ran into a woman and she said, oh, you know, hi, it's great to, you know, she had known who he was. So talking and she said, I just moved here from Chicago. What are the people like here? Mm. And he said, well, what were the people like in Chicago? She said, oh, they were the most wonderful, uh, friendly people that just open up your doors. And he said, well, that's what the people are like here. He's walking along the beach again, encounters a similar situation with a different person. She says, oh, Wayne Dyer, you know, I, I'm new here. Um, you know, what are the people like here? And he said, well, what are the people like from where <laughs> you come from? And she said, oh, they're horrible. They're, they're just, you know, unfriendly and keep to themselves. And he says, then... That's that's what the people are like yep. here. You take your world with you everywhere you go. And so if you're in a place of, you know, being a victim, right. that's what you're going to put out there and continue to receive 
until you change that. So how does somebody start to change that? Right. And so the first thing you say, well, we, we watch Christopher Cantwell and we say, well, that's not us. We're not neo-Nazis. So we're not going to feel that. We're not going to relate to that. Well, wait a second. What came up in you when you heard him say that? Did it bring a rise in you? And the idea is to, if I met Christopher Cantwell, I would try to offer him his truth, which he probably wouldn't be able to receive, but I would <laughs> offer to him, which is, dude, you are a gift to the world. You are a gift to all of us. He's a gift to me. Listening to that experience, watching that was a gift to me because it helped me understand deeper where people are and He's what they're going through. He's a gift to comedians. He's a gift to comedians. And if he knew he was a gift to the world, it would stop him in his tracks. He would say, oh my gosh, I have a lesson to teach. And there have been many, as you know, many neo-Nazis specifically who have changed and become and said, I have to tell everybody how you fall down this slippery slope. I want to be a cautionary tale. And our cautionary tale is not to get caught up in it and go, God, I just want to get these guys, you know, people like him, we need to remove them and get them out of here. In the same way, for instance, the statue debate. I've got this big statue debate of Confederate statues, and there's 700 some odd statues that are still up that are being slowly pulled down. A bunch more in the University of Texas just went down. Uh, yeah, and it's funny when the right wing has been talking about how there's a statue of Lenin in Seattle, and so it's an equal crime. That's called whataboutism, by the way. We're going to do that on the next show. Whataboutism. Oh, it's excited. not me. What about it? What about them? What about them? Anyway, on the statue thing, uh, when we're going to have that discussion, but this, when I saw a bunch of, uh, of protesters, they went to, I think it was in, was it Carolina? I can't remember. And they just pulled that one down. Remember that? And they started spitting on it and kicking it. Remember how they randomly pulled down this Johnny Reb uh, Confederate um, statue? That's where you become a victim, too. That's where you appeal to your anger and your dark side. If you want that removed, you do it through due process. You do it through a collection. You, you convince everybody that it is the loving thing to do to, to stop acknowledging this original sin. And you don't just go and, as a mob, tear it down right. because you become them. You say, no, it's not as bad as driving a car and killing somebody. Absolutely not as bad. But if you had Christopher Cantwell, if he reformed, he would be on the, on the speeching, speaking circuit and he would tell you what I just told you. He would say... Don't you start out by being that and then you become so isolated in your anger and then you surround yourself with people who are just as angry who share your common drama. Well, and we do see uh, people doing it uh, properly through due process or whatever to take these statues down. You had just mentioned uh, University of Texas in Austin. Yeah. And uh, where they took down three statues. Um of Confederate leaders, and uh, the university president wrote, I thought this was beautiful. Oh, that's right. He wrote, we do not choose our history, but we choose what we honor and celebrate yes. on our campus. Yes. And uh, it announced that it's renaming a dormitory um, that's currently called Calhoun Lofts. So, <laughs> um, with he and he was one of the most prominent uh, pro-slavery figures in the right, U.S. Calvin. So, so I want to like just stay on this for a minute because earlier when when we t- I said you know what do you think that the listeners of Jeff's world were wanting and <laughs> and you know um, when you were talking about to see that that we still are evolving that we, that yeah. there still is light and hope and that we're going that way that way and see this is a perfect example listeners 
statues weren't being taken down before. Yeah. They are being taken down now. And that's part of it. And, you know, that's part of what you can look to toward progress. And as far as this whole statue debate, you know, I, somebody said, well, you know, George Washington yeah, owned slaves. So are we going to erase our history? And it's like, that's not the same thing. We don't, statues weren't erected for George Washington to honor his uh, owning of slaves and right. to celebrate that. They were erected to honor, you know, that he led us into builder. freedom from, yeah. you know, the tyranny of King George. And, yeah. um, Yes, he was a slaveholder at the time that that was happening. But, you know, that's not what these Confederate statues are about. These Confederate statues, which you mentioned early, were a lot of them were erected in the 20s. Yeah, from 1898 to 1925, basically, all through Woodrow Wilson's presidency. Yeah, that's when they were... To basically remind the black soldiers returning home from World War I... Right. That, um, you know, that they're still second class citizens. This is America. So yeah. the, these are statues to to oppress and yeah. in, they're only there to celebrate this, you know, um, part of history where, you know, these people were pro slavery. You don't go in Germany and find statues of Hitler. Right. You don't go in America and find statues of King George. You know, because because again, you talk about exactly. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. They didn't keep up the King George statues and right. pictures. They got rid of them immediately because that was their oppressor. That was the person who was in contradiction to the ideals. And I love what the Austin, you know, Dean said there. It's like, do you? It's not that we. It's one thing to have statues in the museums, and we're going to move in the museums. And statues and are great. to celebrate. Yeah, and, and, and these people are celebrating slavery. Yeah, it's a statement about the future. It's the same about where we're going. The monuments we put up in town squares in the middle of town are supposed to be about not only who we were, but where we're going. The, the best of who we are. And then that's my opinion. If you want to if you think we should have statues up that represent our darkest sides and remind us of our villains, well, I don't get that. <laughs> but you can discuss that in your city council and maybe you'll find a majority of people who agree with the celebrating villains. I don't know. But <laughs> the other thing about it is the Confederate holidays that is rarely talked about. If you live in the South, you already know this. Uh, but a lot of places, Florida, uh, they still have a holiday of the birthday of General Robert E. Lee. It's on January 19th. They have Confederate Memorial Day on April 26th. Uh, June 5th, the birthday of Jefferson Davis, who, of course, was the president of the Confederate States. And those are all holidays. And those are holidays. And some of those are even uh, they close state offices in Alabama on those holidays. They close state offices in three Um, states, Alabama, Arkansas, and Mississippi, they celebrate, check this out, Robert E. Lee's birthday and Martin Luther King's birthday on the same day. I mean, that would be like celebrating Adolf Hitler and the Jewish liberation on the same day. I just, right? How do you even put that in your head? But I'll give its credit to the right wing. They're the ones who were the, the neo-nationalist types. They've been arguing, and I've been watching the Facebook page, and they've been making it about monuments and heritage. And I have a lot of friends from the South, and they jump on the monument and heritage thing. For them, it, it, it pulls a different cord. They don't feel the terrorism of the Ku Klux Klan, the thousands and thousands of people they just lynched for no other reason than being black. 
they don't see that. They look, they just, they are able to isolate it into a heritage thing. And so, and that's, you know, you're welcome to be that way, but that's the past. <laughs> We're done with that. Mm-hmm. We're done with that. So, uh, such an amazing discussion. Such an amazing time to be alive. It is so much vastly better to be discussing it on this ground. If you're a football person, we're using our racial discussion is on the 20 yard line. We're headed towards the touchdown. We have gone through 80 yards of BS and on our original sin. And I really feel like we're in the red zone now. We're moving it and it's beautiful and I love it. And coming up, I want to go one more step with that, play a little racism quiz on us and see how that feels. And I'll tell you my story too of why I kind of had my form, what early formed my opinions and a uh, famous woman named Jane Elliott. Uh, this is coming up here on Jeff's Work. With a little love and some tenderness, that I gave. Katrina, I'll start with you. Do you think that Speaker Ryan should join in with Nancy Pelosi and take down those Confederate monuments that are in the in the halls of Congress? Absolutely not, Ainsley. Look, how long has Nancy Pelosi been in Washington, D.C.? Those monuments have been there for a very long time, and suddenly Nancy Pelosi wants to, to, to actually help these anarchists and these violent protesters tear down pieces of America, American culture and American history. The only place that that's being done right now is by ISIS. And I really don't think that you should have leaders actually encouraging people to do these types of things because Americans actually love their history, their culture, good and bad, because it helps them learn and it helps keep people educated about why America is so great to begin with. All right, Wendy, according to a recent poll, most Americans agree with Katrina. The NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll, they said 62% said that they want to keep the monuments the way they are. 27% said to remove them. What are your thoughts? We have to be mindful that polls are not necessarily predictive, but rather reflective of a current trend. But what's being lost in this entire conversation is the history from which Confederate monuments sprung from. Confederate monuments came after the South lost the war. 650,000 people died and the Southerners were considered treasonous. On top of that, this sprung up after December 1865 when the Ku Klux Klan actually was trying to revolt against black political power that came about during the uh, restructuring era. So this is not a symbol of patriotism. This is a symbol of hatred and division. And while it is a piece of American history, it's not necessarily the good part of American history. It's actually nefarious. So it doesn't deserve a place on state grounds. It deserves a place in museums. And that's where they need to be. It absolutely deserves a place Uh because bad history is still good history for this country. Slavery is good history. Where we are today. Where we are today. Slavery is good history. Absolutely. Wow. During those times, think about this for a second. Where would we be today if not for that civil war? Where would we be without slavery? Know? Are you how, serious? How okay, would ladies, our children what you're even know ladies. how special and how wonderful this country is? How special slavery is? Do you know how many people died? Absolutely. Do you know how many people died? Ladies, listen to me, please. It's clearly a heated topic, Katrina. Katrina, it's clearly a heated owners. issue. Like, this is no one important. is racist. The no one believes in racism or bigotry. But let me yeah, talk, please. Let me talk, important. ladies. Absolutely not. Katrina, this country let me was talk. founded ladies, on slave please. owners who actually put in a place to, to, to change the laws and to make You're completely country. out of the line. Okay, and let the me fact ask you something. Came on <laughs> so this is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. That is Erica Ferriston. That is uh, former Trump spokesperson Katrina Pearson on Fox News uh, having a debate, obviously, uh, about this. And, and that's that's the... 
that's not an arg. I mean, I, come on. Am, I mean, just, Again, like let's just go back Woo! to uh, Germany. Yeah. There are no Nazi flag uh, flags flying like you have the Confederate flag here. Yeah. There are no statues of Hitler. But what you do have, you have street names named after victims of the Holocaust. You have statues. Uh, you know, uh, placards and things in the, in their sidewalks, like the way we have the Hollywood stars right. here in Los Angeles. You have that, you know, uh, with the names of Holocaust victims. And they, Germany teaches about the Holocaust in their schools so that they never repeat it. So what this uh, Trump uh, Nazi spokeswoman yeah. is is touting is just false to to if Germany was celebrating Hitler, um, you know, to say that this is how they're learning from their six. That's not what they're yeah, doing. They're condemning. They're con- they they yeah. condemn the Nazi party in Germany. Yeah. They don't celebrate it. So um Again, these are statues and monuments that were erected way after the fact solely as a reminder of, um, you know, white power. Yeah. And that people uh, who have darker skin should uh, know their place. That that's what they're there for. And if you the argument of context too, they said, "Oh well, you know, uh, Jefferson and Washington were slave owners." Yeah, yeah, they were at that time. And you can even go further forward. You can say. It's context again, and and I love it with John Meacham, the the great presidential story, and he said, you know, uh, Washington and Jefferson were nation builders. Robert E. Lee was a traitor who tried to destroy that nation they built. And let's make this very clear: Robert and E. Lee isn't the hero of general. Same, it's interesting, you know. And then you see these same these Nazis that you know are heralding Robert E. Lee. They're they're heralding Nazism. Yeah. They, they proudly call themselves white supremacists. Alt-right is just a nicer name for right? that. It's a better name. Alt-right. You have to have a new name. But when Germany to... teaches, and nobody's saying to deny our history, yeah. teach it properly the way that Germany teaches about their history so that we do learn from it. Teach it that this was a shameful period of time in our history. And here are some things that we've done to make reparations, which I'm not, we've done some things, but my God, there's so much more to go. You know, and I go to New Orleans every year and I always get a kick when you hang out with all these Southerners and I play board games with them because I designed a World War II board game. And they'll always say, you know, if you notice, they say, look around, all the statues point north because you never turn your back on the north. You know, they, they're they still working that through. They still got their Confederate holidays. They're still working. And, and we want to be patient and help them. And that's why this discussion is happening. So we can say, really think about it for a second. You don't get it yet? Okay. All right. You'll come around. But in the meantime, the rest of us are moving on. You know, we're not going to put it in our town square. We're going to teach it in our, in our schools and teach it in our museum or have it in our museums. But we're not putting it out there. So in the 1960s, there's a lady named Jane Elliott, a teacher. She made fame because she did an experiment called the Blue-Eyed, Brown-Eyed Experiment. You've heard of it, Erica. I actually had the privilege, if you will, of going through that when I was a third grader, which is the age that she did it at. At uh, Mr. McClurg was my teacher. I don't remember his first name. He was this kind of hippie guy. Uh, he used to play John Denver songs and such well, you know, and all this stuff. But anyway, he put us through that, and he sold it. And not only were we divided by brown-eyed, blue-eyes, and my eyes are brown, 
And we first went with blue eyes, were, which was interesting. My wife always says they should have gone the other way around because blue eyed people seem to have already have a privilege of sorts. And I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, that makes a difference necessarily. But at the first day one, blue eyes were given the privileges. And us brown eyed kids not only were identified and separated in the classroom, but we were, had to wear scarves. Like a like a you know a star of David, we had to wear these orange scarves that designated us as brown-eyed kids, and we were instructed you could not play with the blue-eyed kids. And you can imagine, you go through this experiment. There's tears uh, from kids, and and the teacher sold it. He would be yelling at you, "You're so dumb! Why don't you know the answer? It's because you're brown-eyed, right? You're dumb because you're brown-eyed." And would say that, and I would watch brilliant kids, straight A type student kid, not be able to answer a math question. You couldn't do a multiplication table. Because he was being told he was that stupid, and it had that much effect on him. And I watched blue-eyed kids go, well, "Yeah, we're better." But of course, he flipped it the next day, and we switched it around. And that's, I think, one of the reasons it was a big impression on me. Because on the next day, I said, "Well, I'm still playing with brown, blue-eyed kids. I'm just, I refused to accept the discrimination difference." And I didn't even, I mean, you I'm were in to, third grade. I was in third grade, and, and, I, you refused? and I refused it. And I, I, mean, I refused in the sense, obviously, you told me to go over to the side of the room, and I did. Uh, and I did what I was told. But when they said, don't talk to the blue-eyed kids or don't be with blue-eyed kids, I was not going to do that. So, of course, I still played with them and hung out with them and, and, and just and wouldn't treat them that way. So, uh, But, of course, I had the luxury of being treated like crap first, so that might have helped. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know, because uh, some kids really embraced it. You know, it's the old famous experiment where they did the prisoner, you know, uh, prisoner uh, jailer experiment in colleges. And, and it's amazing how oppressive the jailer kids will be versus the prisoner kids. It's you'd be surprised how easily you fall into it. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd love to I'd love to have a reunion with some of the kids that were in that class with me and, and find out how much it affected them, because it certainly affected me. There's no question that to this day, my sense of racial sensitivity, <laughs> you know, was vastly improved because of having felt it, wow. even if it was only for 24 hours in third grade. I want, you know? I want, I want to have that happen at my school. Right? The teacher got uh, was gone in no time. I'm pretty sure it's because the he was got too, fired. Was too you think? I don't know if he was fired or quit or what happened because I didn't hear about it. But I'm pretty sure I, we all kind of guessed he was fired because it was so controversial. And this was in El Dorado County, which uh, you know. Is a, talking about El Dorado County. After the Newtown shooting, there's a place called Newtown Guns. After the day after the Newtown shooting, they put up a bill. They put up a sign that said, "We have assault weapons on sale." On the day after the Newtown shooting, and they're called Newtown Guns. That's little, horrible. I mean, that's just obviously one little tiny sliver of El Dorado County. That's all you need to share. You get a point. I, I never want to go there. It's a pretty tough little town. I mean, there's obviously wonderful, nice people, but there are some folks that go live in that county because they want to. Be away from those people, as you would say. So uh, that's where I uh, was kind of raised on a ranch from age 7 to 17. So that was a real experience. But here I go. Wow. I got to learn about, you know, and I learned some racial things. And that's what I wanted Thank to talk God about. Thank God for that teacher. Yeah. Or you might be a real Mr. prick McClurk. right now. I couldn't agree more because I was a prick in a lot of other ways. Uh, so <laughs> I had to undo that. That's for sure. I had a lot of uh, pricking to undo. So they did this great racism scale where they kind of just threw some some statements on a, on a, on a, on a range here uh, from one end to the other, from overt racism to an accomplice and an, uh, towards uh, equality. And for instance, I don't know which chart, which end should we start at? Let's start at the overt race. I can't race. see. I know. I was going to read it to you, but so. I wanted to. Uh, all right. We'll start at the nice end. Uh, I will put my safety, health, and freedom on the line to fight for people of color. I will let them lead and not try to be at the center. That would be the ideal position. 
for you to be in. Okay. The other end of the spectrum was whites are the superior race. Obviously, that's the other end of the spectrum. And you come down from the overt racism, you say, whites are under attack and will be minorities soon. Have you ever thought that for a minute? Ask yourself honestly that whites are under attack, that they'll be a minority soon. He said, well, they might be a minority soon. Yeah, actually, we're all going to. I like what, Chris, I like what Christopher Darden said. Everybody will eventually be taupe. I don't think uh, you'll even identify. Because remember, you sent, generations ago, you used to, it wasn't white. Our immigrant issue was Italians and Irish. Mm-hmm. Oh, our immigrant issue. I say America. as Asian, Chinese. Right? Well, then it was Chinese and the Asians, whatever. They built the railroads mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But at first, it was other, quote unquote, white people. Right. There was a discrimination of like, no, they're Italians. Mm-hmm. They're Irish. In fact, Woodrow Wilson and the KKK marches, one of their primary concerns was Catholic people. They wanted the Catholic people to oh, go yeah. home as well as the Jews and the blacks. Yep. Yep. So, the Nazis jailed the Catholics. Nazis jailed the Catholics too. So. And the homosexuals. So we, we move along into the racism. I'm not racist, but dot, dot, dot. You know, if you find yourself saying that. Um, but black on black crime, another statement. What about that black on black crime? If you're using that as an argument, you need to look inward. There's something going on. Why, why do you need to make that argument? It's not black on black crime. It's poverty crime. Really, if you think about it, it's poverty crime. In poverty areas, there's that's when things get ugly. When you get into desperation, things get ugly. It's not it's yeah. not a racial thing. People do desperate things. People desperate things when they're when, desperate. You know, words like thugs, it says here. This is what they call the this is the section called subconscious racism. I'm not racist, but black on black crime, thugs. What about reverse racism? Another one of these ones. Have you ever said that? What about reverse racism? <laughs> okay. Uh, like, oh, it's not fair. Well, then you're feeling your own victimhood and you're making it about race. So you should look at that a little bit. There's the justification section, which comes next. Well, if they had just dot, 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 you know, like, for instance, if, if Trayvon Martin had just not worn a hoodie, dot, 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 you know, this sort of thing. It, I don't I just don't like the ghetto. You know, statements like that. There's another statement here. I just don't like I just the don't ghetto. like the ghetto. Who does? Jews? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, slavery. Another one. Justification. Slavery Gypsies. ended. <laughs> yeah. Slavery ended 200 years ago, you know. Uh, okay. So? Why do you got to say <laughs> What's that? What's your point? Exactly. What's going on there? Uh, denial phase is below that. Racism no longer exists. Come on. Racism no longer exists. <laughs> There's no racism. <laughs> okay. People aren't treated differently by their skin color. Right? Wow. Uh, another word, denial one is I don't see color like uh, like you know the lady we interviewed had on from Fox News. I don't judge anyone by the whatever. Well, you're judging I'm something. I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind. You're judging something. Well, then something. you need to get your eyes checked. Yeah, and if you don't think it's, I've certainly because have that's moments. an insult. Yeah, I, 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 you have to be honest with yourself. To I, not I, acknowledge I, somebody's color of their eyes or their hair or their skin, you don't see it because yeah, then get glasses. Yeah, There's I mean, you, if you looked at Erica, you know, she's this hot blonde girl. She's got blue eyes and My whatever. Goodness. And I prejudiced against her. I, I When I first met her, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> right? I mean, you get a little bit of that. You know, you make an, a, a sort of conclusions. They weren't obviously super mean, but there was that. Like, oh, she's a blonde, you know, she's got a, she's got, her life's obviously a little bit easier because she's hot and blonde and blue eyed. Right? A little bit of that. And that's left over from my, reg, my pre, uh, prejudices, right? And uh, let's see. Another one here, denial stuff. How, how am I privileged if I am poor? Well, okay, it's a different topic. And then there's a white person saying, how am I privileged? I'm poor. Well, because yeah. Because when you get pulled over by a policeman, the chances are high you're not going to get shot and left to bleed out. Right. And when you go to apply for welfare, they won't go, oh, you're on welfare. At least, you know, right? I mean, some will still. <laughs> but you know what I mean. 
so uh, here's the next one in the denial area. Uh, oh, oh! Th- now we're going into the way called the white savior area. I love this. I have black friends, right? I have friends of color. I have black friends. Uh, whites were slaves too. That's another one that comes up. And by the way, that's a, a truism, but not true. <laughs> uh, there's the indentured servitude stuff and, and what have you. But um, here's another one. If they want our help, they should be more nice, more respectful. Right? It's like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Unbelievably offensive. You know? uh, this is what they call the woke justification. You know, there is no need for people of color to have their own safe spaces. We are all one. So we're getting a little softer. There's no need for them to have their own safe spaces. We are all one. Well, it isn't about the debate of that. It's about the fact that you think that there's this kind of distinction. You know, it, it, it's, 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 are you still making those distinctions? Uh, another one. There is only one race, the human race. Yeah, good. Believe that. Can you believe that? We're getting closer. You know, do you really believe that? You know, ask yourself that. And, and also be aware of it. It's like, well, maybe that's your experience. You know, maybe you're a nice, privileged white person. You can say, well, there's only one race. I only see that way. Yeah, it doesn't mean there's folks that are struggling. It doesn't mean there's folks that are pressing. That have a different reality than what you're having. Right, and we're getting better. We're moving along. Almost there. We're almost there at love conquers all. Much better, much better. Uh, my experience as a white person is drastically different than that of a person of color. Good. Mm-hmm. Now we're into this awareness. Yes, it is different. And not good or bad. It's just different. Period. If you can get to the point where you just say, well, it's just different. And some people are going to treat you different accordingly. And there is prejudices against white people, too, or whatever. It's not unique to or males or females. You know, obviously, you can be gender discriminated against or height discriminated. I mean, there's everything, you know. In L.A., people are height discriminated against. Right. Tall is better. I, right. See, there you go. And that's your prejudice a little bit, too, because you're I not know. as you're, you're a little bit height challenged. Yeah. And <laughs> you're a normal little side zero, double zero. But, you know, uh, I realize that being tall. I know it's a privilege. I know it's an advantage. It's it's an advantage in everything except cars and airplanes. So, uh, oh, next in the awareness. Uh, yes, my life as a poor white person has been hard, but it isn't as hard as if I were a poor and a person of color. That's great revelation, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to be poor, but it's harder to even still to be poor and a person of color typically. Mm-hmm. And then allyship. Now we're going to what they call allyship. Systemic racism is very real and needs to be ended. You know, if you're saying something like that, that's good. Systemic racism is real. And then I will make space for people of color. That would be the next step up. I will, in other words, I will give them their space where they are. I will ex- respect and expect, you know, that they be treated equally and well and be aware. And then again, we get back to the the goal, which is I will put my safety, health, and freedom on the line to fight for people of color. I will let them lead and not try to be at the center. You know, mm-hmm. so anyway, so we're on our way. I, I'm I'm very encouraged by all these dialogues. When we have dialogue, Erica said it best. Uh, awareness, awareness is the first step, right? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of um, great lectures that I'd love to point out to our our listeners. Um, if you want to get some get more woke on this subject, as they say. Um, one of my favorite people to listen to is a woman named. Uh, Joy DeGruy, mm. um, and she's an author, and she wrote a book titled, I think it's like the Plo- Post-Slave Traumatic Syndrome. Oh, wow, okay. But I've heard her speak on KPFK, 90.7 FM. <laughs> We're not getting paid. She just loves it. I do love it, and <laughs> I I love her voice. I just love listening to Miss Joy DeGruy. Nice. I have learned so much. Cool. Um, one of my first introductions into what 
about white privilege was a guy uh, named Tim Wise. Mm. He's actually a white guy. Um, So Tim Wise is a great, uh, you know, lecturer, author author to, um, yeah, to check out. And then I was one of those people when the Black Lives Matter uh, movement came out. I was one of those people that was like, but all lives matter. (laughs) And I would say that like, with my very patient and loving friends who are not white and, and they were trying to explain to me anyway. So I went and I read this book between the world and me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And after I read that book, I came back and I said, okay, I get it. It is Black Lives Matter because we already know that white lives matter. Not in jeopardy. So, um, (laughs) so those are some great, uh, resources if you're interested in, you know, checking it out further. Coming up, the lightning round. We've got some stuff, some the weird stories that Fox News obsesses over. I love this. I've noticed the pattern. I think it's worth saying because I just want to try to understand it. I'm about to ask you. Maybe you can figure it out. Uh, Also, the uh, NFL controversy that keeps brewing along. Can marijuana rescue coal country and the unsung hero of the restaurant? This is Jeff's World. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the Welcome to Jeff's World once again, and being part of our growing population, uh, this is where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferris, and Jeff Hendrick had to take off to the cancer thing, but uh, <laughs> wow, I was going to say, you can't, even, can't put that uh, and make that sound good. Um, <laughs> you just can't. Yeah, no. The big C, you just can't. So uh, we're always uh, pulling for him and trying to support him. My wife makes him lots of food. He's all backed up in his freezer with food. So <laughs> hopefully that will continue to sustain him in his weird paleo diet he's If doing. you need any paleo meals, <laughs> Carrie Stein. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll cook one for you. So the weird Fox story, you know, because I, I like checking. Every, almost every time there's a headline, I don't read it regularly and all the time because it does get me a little nauseous uh, sometimes. You know, Tucker Carlson and stuff and Sean Hannity I can't bear with very much. Uh, but... Every time it's a major event, I always jump over to Fox to see how they handle the headlines. I think it's fascinating. But the one story, in addition to North Korea and Hillary Clinton that they obsess over and anything Loretta Lynch, is any time there is a story of a female teacher getting doing the nasty with a student, it's always on Fox News. I, and the latest two, one is in your town, Because it probably Brentwood. turns them on. I, I, I'm trying to figure it out. Right. Because most of the Fox viewers, demographically speaking, this is not a judgment. This is demographically speaking, are over 60, mostly white and somewhat more male than female. That's typical. That's typical Fox viewer. And their demo is shrinking. That's part of the problem with Fox's news. Fox News situation is not only are they losing people because they're getting a little too kooky. They're that they're some of their lowest ratings they've seen in their history right now, by the way. Where meanwhile, MSNBC is at its highest ratings they have ever seen, ever, ever, ever. Rachel Maddow has been at or near the top above even Sean Hannity by a million viewers, which was never even believed to be possible. Take that for what it is. I don't not I make no judgment by it. But Fox News' obsession with teachers doing students. And I, I guess it's the horny part. It's the weird, illicit, salacious sex part. I don't know. I, 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 but they always have it. It can be just some local story somewhere and nobody's covering. I'll look around, no CNN, no ABC, no NBC, CBS. But Fox News. So there's a local story here. 
Yeah, in Brentwood. You know this? Do you, do you follow it? Yeah, I know that <laughs> my kids played baseball at the school. <laughs> right? And it was a gym teacher. It's a, it's a private school. I think that's important. It's a private Christian school. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. It was the, uh, oh, no. No, 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 no. It's just a, it's a private school that is incredibly expensive. Right. I mean, what? Like. She's 45 third- years old. He was 16. Uh, apparently she's the gym teacher it says here yes no no she's the biology teacher the biology teacher at this la school i didn't want to name the school because you know it doesn't matter i guess um but she i guess my got husband it on. was like oh i think i recognize her from uh soul cycle <laughs> from the cycle class or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. that's hilarious i love it yeah. it's still small town you know if you, if you don't live in los angeles people think it's this big unruly city it's actually a bunch of little small towns in a big town yeah, uh, I mean, I know Burbank is so small town. We're all we go to the local Starbucks, you run each other, you, you see your friends all the time. It's not it, it's so small town. It's just you know more compressed, right? And it's surrounded by a big town, which is great because you can go see Hamilton or whatever. You can go see the best yes. shows, the best artists, the best everything. We're gonna go see Yes next week. Speaking of Yes, it's hilarious. We see all kinds of random seventies and eighties and nineties bands. Um, anyway, the uh, I don't know what their obsession with is it, but I still find this this discussion fascinating, and maybe that's why it's still a discussion for the Fox News Channel, which is what you said off the air before we started. Is as soon as some guy hears that the forty something or thirty something year old teacher got it on with a sixteen year old boy, almost every guy's reaction is, "Damn, Skippy, that's cool." I know. You know, right? it's like I would have loved, and I I'm the first to admit that. I mean, if my some of my teachers in high school, when I was a teacher, if they'd have said, "Let's get on a bit," like, "Yes, yes, ma'am," where, <laughs> oh when? God. But it is the old expression with guys. You know, <sighs> guys don't need a reason to have sex, just a place. And, you know, that, and that joke continues to be somewhat right. true because um, we're not putting as okay. Much, so, you know, how would you feel if a female teacher had sex with Jeffrey? <sighs> is that terrible for me to say? No, that? no, I think it's a great question. I okay, think that's exactly that. the relevant question. You know, <laughs> I mean, obviously. Both my wife and I would immediately triage any mental or physical or whatever situations that he would be experiencing as a result of that in terms of we would be so helicoptery and saying, are you okay with this? What happened? How'd it go? What's going on to your head? Is it freaking you out? Is it distorting your your reality? All of that sort of stuff. We would do deep assessments on what it did to him, you know, from the experience. But you wouldn't if, if it was if they were asking me, do you want to press charges? I'd be like, I mean, check with my son. Is he damaged? No. What would Carrie? And that's wrong. Carrie, I know though, that's wrong. Yeah, no, she'd probably say she would press charges. You, press, you know, you have to make it illegal. And I agree with it in the sense of like it has to be illegal because a person under eighteen it shouldn't be in a capacity to be able to make that decision. It's an adult and abuse. There's no question about the illegality of it, right? It's just so squishy. Because you get above 16, 17, and now Yeah, but it's what like, if it was ugh. a 16-year-old girl with a 35, 45-year-old man? I know. Teacher. I know, and we automatically flip that. This is why this dialogue is so fascinating, because then it seems like a definite crime. You know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, there's no more. that's more commentary on our male and female roles than it is commentary on pedophilia, I think. It says more about how we believe that a male, you know, in the dominant still there, that that patriarchal dominant thing is still obviously in our consciousness. Because if we were truly equal in gender, we'd be like, well, let's see, is the kid damaged or are they okay? You know, you would look or for Or we whether, would be like, it's completely wrong and our children have or to be, be protected. Wrong. Right. We would, exactly. And that's where you have 18. to. You have to go on, you have to err on that side, obviously. You have to be in the case of we have to protect the child. But it is weird. And it is this old patriarchal what was she stuff. Thinking? Yeah. 
that's the thing is uh, people, you know, sex is a powerful, powerful, you know, not even sex. It's it's being appreciated. Let's face it. It's it's. I think it's got to be so much more about how it makes you feel, you know. And obviously, this forty-five-year-old teacher with a sixteen-year-old, she must have felt like she would meant the world to this kid, and that has an effect on you. And you should be obviously have the clarity at age forty-five to be or thirty-one, or where this person was. There's two here, uh, and have to be able to say, okay, that's not where I should find my appreciation. But people do a lot of stupid things in a lot of stupid ways. So. You wow. Know, you just get it, – it's a, it's a complicated issue. And our sexuality is the one thing you – know, we're talking about race, which is great, but we still have the sexuality discussions that need to be had. Uh, I think the next generation is doing a lot better with it. But, uh, you know, <laughs> just I'm just done, like right? thinking – I mean, the, the the kids of the – you know, the kids who go to this school, I mean, this is a incredibly expensive school that people – get rejected from because right. they're it's exclusive in the true way of exclusive it excludes people exclusive yeah. school but oh my gosh yeah yeah next on the list Colin Kaepernick still a thing in the NFL but now it's morphed into a strange place because for the longest time it's been the NFL owners being afraid of the quote unquote controversy of having a controversial character well now the controversy is flipped because there's a lot of folks who believe in equality who have said, well, we're going to boycott the NFL and we're going to come to jer- games and we're yes. going to wear black jerseys over our jersey because we don't believe that you're supporting uh, the, the other voice. <sighs> Instead of it just being, wait a minute, you have to support the police or you oppose the police. There is no gray line, right? Because that's what really the Colin Kaepernick thing is. And I'm sorry. For those who say, what does to me, the police have to? He he because he he was he was kneeling in honor of a systemic racial injustice, yes. which is poli- by the hands of okay. police, right? And of course, my police friends who are lean more right got very upset, and they're like, well, you, "Then you hate all police?" And it's no. like, no, that's not what that means. To it. The but New the York police po- culture is very uh, – we should have discussions about that because yeah. it's very much like a gang-like culture, which it when a good Apple cop reports to the authorities within the system There's about – pressure to protect. You know, whatever, Code cops blue. that are stealing or sure. whatnot – you know, they end up like Serpico. I know, but I don't think I think I don't think that's unique to cops because I mean, you see that in any situation. I see people protecting like people. doctors. Yeah, I mean, it could be a place where a, a teacher protects another teacher because they I had sex though, with a sixteen-year-old. I know, think, yes, it's true. Professions do protect their own, but I think there's an argument to be made that well, laws. What? What? But but it's different. They may protect their own, but it does seem like in this profession. I mean, those good Apple cops have physical and really, like, they get beat up. They get left in dangerous situations. Uh, They call for their backup and they're not there. Like, their lives, their physical bodies are put in danger more than, like, say, the, you know. That's why the the circumstance is always raised when you're talking about law enforcement and military. Whenever you do those two topics, you know, because in your quote unquote life and death, and that adds, I mean, again, you know, yeah, you've got doctors that are protecting other doctors against malpractice or something, and that's technically life and death too. It could be. But like you said, law and whatever. I, I only said to be more forgiving because, you know, 
it's not just uh, anyway we're working on it we're talking about it so that's the point back to colin kaepernick so people are boycotting the nfl yeah, they're trying to obviously it's hard to boycott the nfl because it isn't a wildly popular sport but they're the point is is they're making the other voice and the nypd had a at a rally on on mostly black folks but a lot of folks that had a big rally on in honor of kaepernick and he's from you know obviously a san francisco 49er it's not like he's a you know a new york giant or something you know he was and, and they made these great points that you just made where these cops got up and find a microphones and said you know we have some systemic racism it's not us it's not you we, we obviously i'm looking at a bunch of cops that are trying to do the best they can to be to respect law and humanity but they are in there and we can't deny it and we can't deny that there's a rough you know shot for folks of color and we need to talk about it and so it's flipping and it's putting now it's put the argument back on the owners saying okay it's your move because now you're going to lose our part of your fans you didn't want to upset your your fans who were pro-cop quote-unquote pro-cop um, and then the folks that said to me, they say, well, we object to him because he's knelt during the uh, national anthem. That's disrespectful. You know what? If he had knelt or somebody else if a, had knelt during the national anthem because he was trying to bring awareness to how the Veterans Administration is dissing soldiers, you would have been good for you. Mm-hmm. You would have said, you know what? Uh, that's a silent Do protest. Do people know what a you what know? the point of a protest is? <laughs> to draw awareness. I know exactly. Nobody knows. I mean, like, Yeah. Yeah. And you want to talk about a peaceful protest. Yeah. Kneeling is pretty peaceful, people. Yeah. And meanwhile, Marshawn Lynch and some other players are still kneeling because they're trying nice. to make the, they're trying to make the point. No, 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 no. We're not going to let you pick us out. So, so to all those players that are kneeling with Kaepernick, I just so much love because yeah. And Kaepernick wouldn't even say he should have more support among the players than he has, in my opinion. Yeah, and and Kaepernick is a good talk because they like to say bad things about him, but this guy is clean as a whistle. He's done, he's not a criminal. He's not you know gotten into trouble. And uh and and he would make the point and does make the point. They're not kneeling for me. They're kneeling for to to because they support the belief in justice. That's right. You know, and he he's always said it's not about me. And you know, but it just ended up being about him. Um, right, because of San Francisco, you know, and that sort of thing, liberals and all this stuff. So, anyway, <laughs> we'll keep following that one. I'm sure it will keep evolving. Uh, next on the day is uh, marijuana may say rescue coal country. If you didn't know this, back in April 2017, just this year, uh, yeah, April 2017, as is this year, West Virginia legalized medical marijuana. And as a result of it, these poor folks that are on opioids, first of all, I, I can't read the article. It would take you too long, take too long. But these amazing stories of folks that were in brutal pain that were addicted to opioids who were able to switch over to marijuana still have the pain relief and didn't have the opioid addiction. Right. You know, but of course, and again, the economic value of it. Uh, in terms of what it means, there's, there's there's five recreational states now in America, five recreational places, including D.C., 25 medicinal states. And it, they say that if you switch to full uh, legalization national nationwide, you'd go from a $3.6 billion cost a year to police and arrest and deal with marijuana convictions to a $28 billion surplus in tax revenue. Uh, the numbers are phenomenal. Well, Colorado, where they, they made $140 million last year. Made so much more yes. than they anticipated. And their public schools are great. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the cool things about it. Uh, other things around the horn. We didn't get a chance to, chance to talk about Paul Ryan and, and a Catholic sister. Maybe we'll show you that for the next day because he did. A, he did a town hall, and a Catholic sister uh, gave him the simple question of, uh, "How come uh, if you, is how is it following the path of Jesus to be so hard on the poor?" 
Uh, and it was a good answer. He, you know, it was an answer actually you could get if you enjoyed left or right because he went to the normal thing of trying to create, uh, you know, systems where folks would have upward mobility. But I think it was a little tone deaf on the idea that uh, poor people aren't trying to be poor. That they're not. It's not. A, it's not a moral failing that they're poor. That's what he keeps missing. It's he a, sure does. Yeah, they don't see it as a moral failing. They see. I mean, they see it as a moral failing. They don't see it as a circumstance born into or a circumstance acquired through hardship or through a medical disaster or something like that. Uh, here in Los Angeles, we've got a new. We've had that new uh, train line out to Santa Monica, and here's another success story. Holy crap, that worked! Infrastructure working. They've they've talked about the reduction in congestion, the, the congestion, the the increase in ridership. That those sort of things. Erica and I work with with groups and and even city council people and their staffs, and it's like so encouraging. You people, a good infrastructure is the unsung hero. It really is <laughs> uh, of 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 a city and of municipalities. I take the train now, so when I have the LACDP meetings, yeah. they're downtown, yeah. and so when I leave my house, I'm it takes me two hours and change to get there. Yeah. So now I just take the metro and it takes me about an hour and I can read and um, it's so nice. Yeah. Last two things. The immigration policies of President Trump have had some effects. California crops, many of them are rotting on the vine because we have a dramatic shortage for the first time in some time. There are more people there are the, the vast majority of California's farm workers are foreign born, many coming from Mexico. Uh, Pew Research shows that there are now more Mexicans leaving the U.S. than coming here. Yeah. And that's really bad for the economy. And if you don't hang out with conservatives and in, in the financial conservatives like I do, they always like to say, no, 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 immigrants, key, key to economy, super, 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 super important. A steady it's and constant flow of immigrants is part of what makes American life great <laughs> because the new immigrant comes in and, and is it George Bush, you just say, hey, that expression, he does the jobs Americans don't want to do, but they do, which leads us to the final unsung hero. And that is... The dishwasher. Washington Post did an amazing article on how dishwashers can make or break a restaurant. It is the job that, as they said, CNN star, you know, Anthony Bourdain, he says the dishwashers taught being a dishwasher taught him every important lesson of my life. It's the best way to enter a business, says the New York chef Daniel Belude. You can't have a successful service in a restaurant without a great dishwasher, says Emeril Lagasse. Bad ones will bring the ship down. This spring, Chef René Redzepi of the world-renowned Noma in Copenhagen made headlines when he made his dishwasher, Ali Sanka, a partner in his business. Wow. The Gambian native helped Red Zeppi open the landmark restaurant in 2003. And in July, workers at the esteemed French restaurant in Yontville, you probably know the French laundry in Yontville if you've ever been there, which is near Napa. The master chef, Thomas Keller, uh, they, they made him 12 U.S. He has 12 U.S. restaurants, bakeries. He's voted, it was, they voted to give their most prestigious company honor, the Core Award, to dishwasher Jaime Portillo. Wow who says he has never missed a day of work in seven years. The median annual wage for the 500,000 or so dishwashers in the United States is about 20 grand, which is up only four grand from just over a decade ago. But they they give their you know extended titles, they say, that capture the... Anyway, we don't call them dishwashers, but porters, says Keller. We give them the same respect we give anyone else in the restaurant. The only difference is the uniform. They have short sleeves. But mm-hmm. otherwise... 
They're considered uh, everyone in the restaurant depends on you. If you there are no glasses, drinks don't get served. If there is no silverware, tables can't get set. If there are no pots or pans, food doesn't get cooked. Mm-hmm. Know this when you think of immigrants and know that these folks end up being a partner in the restaurant because they commit to the passion and the inspiration and the commitment to what they're doing. And that is, you, if you don't appreciate that, that basic humanity and that basic drive to matter in your world and in your community in what I'm, one of my most favorite things to do, which is eat out and found out. Because when you eat out, it's an experience. It's a human experience. And it's one of the best human experiences. That and sex, and that's the two greatest things <laughs> to me out there. And in fact, my first job was as a dishwasher in a Chinese restaurant. And so when I read this story, I went, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Because and they would tip me and tip me well because they knew how valuable it was. And there is a serious skill in the triaging and managing of those dishes and things because you have to be hyper aware when something's running low, you got to make sure it's up. And dishes are expensive. And they talked even in this article about some places have $60 wine glasses Mm -hmm. and such, and you cannot break those. That is your day's pay almost. And that ability to not only be fast and quick and efficient and put your head down and get it done, but to have a presence that allows you to see where needs are, it's so valuable. It is one of the most uncelebrated, but if you're in a restaurant, you know how celebrated Mm -hmm. they are. I always have an expression, in in Israel, they make you do military service as a requirement uh, uh, as you come older. I think food service should be a requirement in America before you, uh, because if you you do that, it's the great equalizer. Yeah. Everybody. I I waited tables and was a cocktail waitress and a hostess. There you go. So, yes, that is is a great (sighs) story. And it's that's something we can take about, um, you know, Looking at people for the qualities that they have, commitment, not, you know, paper status or yeah. skin color, you know, right? This goes back to uh, Martin Luther King's, I have a dream that one day my children will be judged by the content of their character. Yeah. And Instead of the color of their eyes, their height, yeah. their hair color. And, and, and all of from. this stuff is arbitrary and it's just another way to for the top people to divide and conquer. So you can feel why we do this show. She's Erica Ferris, then I'm Jeff Stein, and this is exactly why I do this show, because this is the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind that's happening right now, and I just love talking about it. So thank you for listening, and thank you for being part of this Jeff's World. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop-cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.